Disclaimer, the following Boundless Pub Trap episode contains strong opinions that some listeners may and will find offensive. If you cannot accept or respect others with a differing opinion from yours, then fuck off. Rolling South! Streaming from the Midwest, right in the middle of the U.S., from Omaha, Nebraska, you're listening to the Boundless Pod Track, your entertainment podcast where we touch on all topics, from the crazy and absurd to the sacred and profane, and even the useless and unnecessary. The Boundless Pod Trap knows no bounds. And now, here are your hosts. What's happening, everybody? It's episode BPT038. What's happening? What's happening? What's Thank happening, you. hot stuff? What's happening yeah. is you haven't screwed up anything yet, so kudos. I'm, I'm working on it. It's only hmm. like, what, a minute and a half in. You were a second into one episode and you screwed <laughs> it up. So We sat and watched you uh, try to do a promo once. <laughs> I, <laughs> it was actually pretty in. good. Yeah. Well, today, tonight, this morning, whenever you BPT listeners are listening to this, we got somebody in studio again. We do. Jeremy, nice time. to be here. Nice hey. to meet you. Thanks for having uh, me here. Today, the Boundless Pod Trap is proud to present the exalted, the demiurgic, the venerated, the voluminous mind and talent of our friend, Lady D, Dorothy Borum. <laughs> Lady D. <laughs> Is that why you're late, Justin? You're practicing that. Uh, yeah. So, <laughs> that's pro- honestly, that was probably the best. Let her do her intro, that. man. You're messing it up. Sorry. Let's do it again. <laughs> <laughs> What's hi. happening? How you doing? Hi. Hey. Hi. I'm good. I'm super excited to be here. And that intro was fucking amazing. I like, don't like to break. That's maybe you could give me that as a clip and I could just play that when I walk into the room, like on my phone, like, hold up, Chad, tell him I'm coming. <laughs> That's your entrance music now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, follow there, let's do it again because we loved it so much the first time. Did you make this, Justin? I'll say yeah. Okay, you didn't. And that's Crystal <laughs> in the background singing. Uh, that's, that's that's me with auto tune. Uh, that's a pretty amazing uh, <laughs> intro there. Yeah, that's, well, I mean, we don't get our own individuals. No yeah. So I figured I'd just do it all out for our. We don't spare our own expenses. <laughs> Why didn't anyone tell me this? <laughs> You've been sparing your own expenses this whole time. Yeah. For thirty-eight episodes. You think plus? you think lunchables are cheap? Oh. I put it on the card. I drive two hours to get here to do this podcast, and I have to buy my own Lunchables. Did you get lost? Who's the manager? (laughs) So, and they shorted you cheese. (laughs) And you did, motherfuckers. (laughs) First time in the life. I've been eating Lunchables for 38 goddamn years. Never once got shorted cheese. We're in the middle of a war, people. I need that cheese. That's why. Times are hard, man. Times are hard. Well, the booking community, the BPT booking community, was able to uh, uh, got a good bring one. on a yeah, a good a good one. She's she's awesome. I love uh, I love everything you do. 
I oh don't, my gosh. I don't really I know everything. Doesn't, no, that's not right. <laughs> just the fact that you said it, though, okay. Justin, that's awesome. I'm trying to get cool points early it's on. Just, yeah. So you're, you're, you're a writer, director, producer. You, you write books. Actress. Uh, actress. What, what all do you do? Wow, yeah, I do. Oh, be- <clears throat> yes. Before you answer anything, uh-huh. I need you to speak into the microphone that you are here on your under your own accord. <laughs> nobody put you up to this. <laughs> no, nobody did. Put All me up opinions to this, and so. views you agree with, no matter who says it. No, I can't say that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> She's learned from the first <laughs> podcast. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, so yeah, what all do you do? <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Who I, are you and what's that? <laughs> How did this girl even get here? What is happening? Start from the beginning. <laughs> How are you in my house? <laughs> get out. Uh, right. I direct. I produce. Sometimes I act. Yeah, I can't play the guitar. I do like to sing. And um, I don't know. That's about it. For the purposes of this podcast, that's all we do. So you sing? So does that mean you play an instrument too? I was in a band in college. The band was a lot of fun and we were pretty good. And then like our senior year, I was like, so I got an offer to go to graduate school, but... I'm willing to put that off or not go if you guys are down to move to where were we living? Athens, Georgia with me. (laughs) And everyone was like, that's not as good as the other Athens. Oh yeah. Grace. Oh yeah. No, I, my parents would be so mad at me if that's what I did right after college. And I was like, fine, then I'm going to graduate school. (laughs) But just if they had been like, yes, I don't even know where would I be right now? Probably in, I don't know. Oh. In, in a New van? Mexico. Broke. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> Down Broke by the ass. river. <laughs> Down by the river. No. Singing happily. I don't think it... Have we ever heard you sing? Have you put your stuff in any of the media? The, what? That was her singing her intro. Oh, yeah. That's right. Yeah. That was me singing the intro. Uh, um, <laughs> no. I bet none of my singing stuff is out there anywhere. So. Mm-mm. So when do we hear that? Right, when you, when right you drop now. in your next album, yo. Yeah, when but, am I going to drop my next album? I don't know. That's a good question. I got to talk to my publicist. Oh. I'll get you a link. Fair enough. Okay. <laughs> now you're singing right now. We're all just going <laughs> to stare at you until you... <laughs> Waiting for the SoundCloud drop. <laughs> all right, Free Freebird. Here we go. So yeah, that's what I do. Thanks so much for having me here, by the way. You guys are awesome. I'm just so pleased and impressed with all the cool stuff that Omaha does, but you guys coming together and the cool group that you have and what you do, it's an well, honor. Well, we thank you for coming out here because she's I mean, jealous. You had, you had to make a little bit of a trip to get out <laughs> here, but you know, I have to say, I started filmmaking before I knew who you were, but we were at Prairie Lights Film Festival, and I want to say maybe 2014 or something and i had the shadow's edge movie that i had done in it and you had blood rights in it and i remember seeing blood rights and i was just like holy shit somebody local made this it was the production value everything was so great you were even nice enough when i talked to you in the lobby you gave me i believe the screener copy that you gave the festival i still have it i bragged that movie up so much to people and you actually inspired me like watching it it's like okay i can get to this level too so thank you so my pleasure. I remember meeting you. I remember seeing Shadow's Edge and I was like, damn, this is pretty good. And I could tell that you had been like working to put it all together. And believe me, I know about, oh, bring it all to put it oh, in the box. Well, that movie, it was, you were on the last podcast that we were, the movie review or reviewed your movie Corruptor. Uh, you had said, you know, that one you were trying to do kind of 
Faster. Faster. And then you did one where it was a longer, you, it took two years to even get to the editing or whatever. That was the case with The Shadow's Edge. We had filmed it in 2009 and it didn't get released until 2013. So there was a while and it was because of, you know, our mutual friend, Dustin Ferguson, he had contacted me to do a short film in Silly Scaries 2. And then he had found about the uh, Shadow's Edge and how my editor stopped and just gave up on it. And at the time I had no experience in editing. So he threw it together. I'm like, holy crap. So I have him to thank for getting that done. But yeah, it was definitely a huge learning process, that whole Shadow's Edge filmmaking thing. So Nice. Very nice. Well, that's our episode. Thanks right. for, no, Thanks for coming out. Yeah. Such a pleasure to be here. Bye. I haven't even finished so, my, my Lunchable yet. <laughs> There's still time, Lonnie. It's got crumbs on the table. Well, I might be finished soon without my other fucking piece of cheese. Calm down about the cheese. No, let it go. We'll never calm down about the cheese. Let it go. So you say Lincoln. You said you were born and raised in Lincoln? No, I was born and raised in South Carolina. South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, I left South Carolina. My third year of graduate school was in Washington, D.C., and I was super excited because I was like, let me out of this state. <laughs> so I went to D.C. I worked for the Folger Shakespeare Theater for a while, and then from there I was like Los Angeles. But first I had to make a stop in Boulder, Colorado. So I did that for like a year, and then I was in Los Angeles. So you got your start in theater. That's right. Okay. So, yep, because I was BA in theater in college, and then I went to graduate school and got an MFA in costume design. Oh. And it was like one of those things where it wasn't the costume design was like my total jam, man, but it was offered up to me by a professor that I liked, and I definitely saw it as an opportunity to like do something else other than teaching. My parents were like, be a teacher, and I was like, I could be a teacher. <laughs> in a different medium. But I think I want to do something else. Yeah. Right on. Where were you? I mean, you were creating stuff before then outside of costume, like stories, et cetera. That's true. Like I got my first opportunity to direct when I was in college. And then as a kid, like my parents were super into theater. And so I was writing plays for my little brother and sister to be in and stuff. That's where it started. Yeah, that's totally where it started. And then in Boulder, I was working with some people that were making a documentary of the Colorado Shakespeare Festival that I was working for. And I was there to do costume props, but I saw two guys with a camera and was like, hey, what are you guys doing? What's going on? What kind of camera is that? Do you need any help? I was just wondering, like, I'm really good at carrying things. <laughs> I put it on like, this shoulder or this shoulder. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, yeah, you can, whatever. And they ended up inviting me to come out and do like prop production for this film that was being shot in Nebraska, in Blue Hill, Nebraska. Somebody's grandparents. There's a Blue Hill? Blue Hill, Nebraska. I, didn't, I, didn't I know. know. It's near Red Hill. No. Um, anyway. <laughs> She's that- <laughs> got jokes. Unless you're me, and then it's all Gray Hill. <laughs> oh, Ooh. Gray Hill, fair. Yeah, color correct. Right, okay. And, uh, yeah, so somebody's grandparents lived there, and they were going to film a zombie film there. And here's the thing is, like, they were shooting on fucking film. And I was like, this shit is cool AF. <laughs> and we were, like, sleeping in, you know, farmhouses and shooting, like, all over this tiny town. And the guy who was doing the shooting was a guy from L.A. named Matthew Libatique. And he went on to do all of Darren Aronofsky's films. Wow. Yeah. So I was like hanging out with people that later like went on to like, sounds kind of funny, but true, direct episodes of CSI Miami or produce The Lincoln Lawyer or, you know, be like a UPM on Lincoln Lawyer. And yeah, it was pretty cool. And from there I made connections where I was like, 
Oh, I'm going to LA. I'm going to be hanging out with these people. They're going to be sorry they ever met me. I'll be sleeping on their couches. And ultimately that is kind of what I did. So yeah, film. Right on. The hunger. So I got my start kind of too in the entertainment industry, theater as well, behind the scenes. I did about like 11 years, 12 years of theater. Which do you like better having been in both? I mean, do you like the live aspect of theater or do you prefer the film side of things better? I prefer the film, even though there is more, I think, anxiety and stress, in my personal opinion, in filmmaking. The end product is so rich and dreamlike that I just prefer it. Kind of like working out. Like, what's that? It sucks to work out, but like afterwards, you're like, man, like I do feel better though. Right. It's like I have more energy, you know, that the payoff of seeing your product at the end, it's amazing. And not just that, but seeing the. We're not talking about working out. We're talking about the movie. And then like people reacting to it, the audience and stuff like that. It's like, wow, I poured my heart out and now everybody else is swimming. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's true. And it's there forever. Or leaving the theater because it's and yeah, much. And it's there forever yeah, and yeah. fuck those guys. <laughs> that, that, that my first uh. festival experience for the first film I ever worked on that came out, One More Body, sitting in that at the Flatwater Film Festival, watching people gasp and go, Bleh. I was like, we did it. Yeah. <laughs> we did it. I, well, you should have been there for when the first unemployed played at the Prairie Lights Film Festival because it was quite the opposite where people were so offended by the raunchiness after every scene, more and more people were getting up and leaving. And even I took pride in that. I was like, well, I got him. wrote something, something. that kind of. Something. Uh, <laughs> you made him feel something. Yeah. That's real. Feel Let's free go. to not answer this question, but have you ever <laughs> killed a man? Why don't we ever get that option? <laughs> yeah. I mean, we talked about it off Mike, Justin. I don't know why uh, I need to answer the question. Again. Well, is there anything incriminating that you want to say on air? <laughs> I do it every week. <laughs> okay. um, you know, I've talked to my lawyer and they were pretty clear that okay. no, I okay. shouldn't. But just, thank you. Just for One, two, three, four, five. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Justin. some guy in a mall got stabbed in the neck recently. I got to tell you guys, <laughs> one more body, right? With um, Sydney. Mm-hmm. Sydney Hendrickson. God, that was good. I was so happy that I had gotten a chance to see that. And the slow burn on that thing. Mm. Mm. That was writing and post-production for you guys. Yeah. It was beautifully uh, cast. Everything about it, I fucking loved. Yeah. Well, we appreciate it. And, and that's, you know, Sydney... I don't know. When I saw her, there was something about her that spoke out to me. And I'm like, this girl, you know, she's into acting and stuff. This part would be perfect for her. She knocked it out of the park. She's such a, a hard, tough critic on herself, which we all are to a sense. Like I, everybody's their own worst critic, but I think she's so hard on herself. But I worked with her again and under the willow tree and uh, again, knocked out of the park. I have always told her that if there's one person that ever asked you to be in their movie, you need to say yes. And that was you, Dorothy. And I know she, you did ask her, you are, you were supposed to film something with her, but you postponed it because of weather. Right. And not because of a film festival. Oh, right. Yeah. No, no, no offense. Omaha film festival. I just, I never, yeah. Anyway, the point is, is that, um, why are you rubbing that in? (laughs) Is that, uh, yeah, after I saw her, and that was the first time I'd ever seen her, 
definitely I went up and was like, that was amazing. And the people that I was with, we were all like, boy, if we could get a chance to work with her. And literally I'd been thinking like anything, anything. And so then Dustin asked me to film this opening scene for a film that he is re-releasing. And it's a, a classic chainsaw chase with a clown because that's how those work. And um, <laughs> I'm really excited about it. Classic Dustin, there's a lot going to go on in a short amount of time, but I'm really excited to work with her, and I've, I've been working on a lot of cool-ass shit that's going to happen in there. Exactly. Well, I can tell you she is a director's dream because... Don't, she, don't. She, <laughs> rephrase, yeah. cut, start over. That one isn't even going to pass this sensor. Wait, it's not, that's not bad. <laughs> yes, it is. Okay, okay. Let's... When you're talking about an underage sister, <laughs> that is bad. Okay, okay, sorry. <laughs> I don't even know how to re- rephrase that. Okay. A director's In working dream? with Sydney, she is a director's dream come true. No. <laughs> okay. She's a great actress to work with. In working with Sydney Hendrickson, she is... <laughs> okay. Um, so... And working with Sydney Hendrickson, you will not regret it because she comes prepared. She will hit her mark every time that you, she's supposed to be somewhere. She will deliver the same every angle you get. Like she's just, I wish that she could teach some adults how right. to come prepared. And she takes her roles very seriously. She's very professional on set, even when you have somebody like, Justin, who ruins a take by what? saying You told something. me to... I didn't tell you to do that. Somebody told me to. But it was funny anyways. But yeah, <laughs> she, you will want to work with her a million times after yeah. this. And I've said this to her. I'll say it a million times. She is going to be somebody. Oh, yeah. I mean, she she's... It's just... Her professionality at her age, like her communication, like the way that she dis- deconstructs things at her age, most actors don't they don't ask about things like that. They just take it and run with it where she has to know every single detail, which kind of helps build harden and cement that character onto the tape right. film. Whatever I totally, she understands a thing that I agree. So many people that want to act or have been thinking about acting or even are acting. Don't think about the extra work that they need to do. Right. They can't just show up. It's like, what does my hair need to look like? I'm going to take some risks when I show up. And think for myself. And then also, like, incorporate with the director. You can literally tell. She just jumps off the screen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and she, when you're talking to her, you're giving her direction. You can tell she's listening and she's absorbing everything. And, yeah. like, some people, when you're talking to them, it's just like, are you even listening to me? Like, it's like, yeah, I got and, it. I'll run with it. Yeah. And then you, they do the same thing again that you told them not to do. I got yeah. four other projects I'm working on, so I'll have time for this. Yeah. I always said she reminds <laughs> me of a young Melissa Shoe from The Karate Kid, Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, yeah, I know who you're talking about. Elizabeth Shue. Mm-hmm. Did, did I say Melissa Shue? But I knew who you meant. Elizabeth Shue. Yeah. Yes. She reminds me of a young Elizabeth Shue. My goal is to get her into Cobra Kai to play the younger version of Allie from The Karate Kid. Oh, my God. Mm. That's she, a good call. She's older than what Allie is in original Karate Kid now, isn't she? She's a little younger. Huh? Anyways. But, yeah. No, that's great that you're working with her. So... How often do you work with Dustin? Because we had him on, God, was that episode seven or six seven, or something yeah, like that? It was. Or episode four, maybe. It was early. But yeah, how many films have you worked on with him? Gosh, when he was living here in Nebraska, I probably worked on a big old handful of films like 
oh my gosh, Night of whatever the, there's a demon puppet doll one that I got to work on with him and the one that he shot with, oh my gosh, what is her name? Do you remember, it was like Silent Night, Deadly Night? Oh yeah, with uh, Jennifer Runyon or something like that? Yeah, Jennifer Runyon, yep. Yep. She was great and just a handful of other things, music videos and stuff like that. Now that he's in L.A., he probably will get in touch with me maybe every six or seven months and ask me to like pick up a scene that he wants to shoot with an actor there. Or like in this case, he's reusing the same guy that played the role in this film however many years ago that they shot it. Cody Banks. Cody Banks, and he's going to come out nice. to Lincoln and we'll shoot that scene with him. Cody contacted me about trying to find the tie for his character because he didn't have it anymore. And he says he's pretty sure he got it from my work when they did it. But uh, yeah, Cody's a, another great person. He'll do what you want him to do. But yeah, he was in my film. He was. Yeah, that's he right. He was, was in my he film was a zombie. Well, yeah. But um, yeah. And we had kind of talked about it, just like Dustin has a very fast paced Hundred percent to his yeah. making movies. Thing is, is he has a niche and a following with that, and like, well, it works for him. So, like, keep pumping right. them out. It well, it, yeah, it's crazy because I worked on Meat Hook Massacre with yes. him, and I feel like that was like maybe seven years ago we did that. Mm-hmm. And looking at his IMDb, it's like Meat Hook Massacre Eight. I'm like, wait really? a minute, what? <laughs> well, I don't know. I was on the just, second one, but um, I remember showing up to scene for maybe not even twenty minutes, and I was heading back to Omaha. <laughs> Do you <Jeez>. like? <laughs> Do you like working at a fast pace like that, or do you like to take your time? Like for me, I don't like having time limits on things. I like to kind of take my time, but not too long because then things change and people lose interest. But what's your filmmaking style? When I was working with Dustin, mostly what I would do is like producing and prop costume stuff. And I enjoyed his, the fast pace then. But when I'm directing, I really like to take a little more time. My preference is often we don't do a lot of rehearsing before we get to set. People, I expect people to know their lines, but we will do the, what I think of as like the scene choreography and we'll kind of break the scene on set when we're getting ready to shoot. So we might run the scene four or five times before we ever really start to roll. Now, Chad and I already have a shot list, so that's not the question. The question is, what is really going to happen here? Who can do what and what can they bring for us? How do the energies come together? What's going to be more interesting? Maybe we discover something that makes us want to change the shot list. Like someone has a cool idea that we're going to tweak around. And of course, you know, mostly we're shooting on location. Maybe the location has something to offer us that we didn't know about. Because, you know, when you're shooting micro budget, you don't really get to do as much pre-production as you'd like. Like, let's go in and look at the location and oh, really yeah. like break it down. What can we do? You're just showing up like, oh, okay, good. What can we do with this? I worked on something where we accidentally got to use a limo. So it's like, well, <gasps> shit, let's let's do it. We got the opportunity. Let's do it. How do you accidentally get to 100%. use a limo? <laughs> we were in front of a bar and a limo pulled up. Oh, and okay. They dropped off the their group and we we're like, well, can we? Use it. We're filming us something. They're like, I got nothing else to do. So it's like, yeah, we shot it. That's great. I remember when we were making um, Blood Rites, that was my second film. We had a guy show up and it's so funny that I'm going to be, I can't even believe I was going to tell the story. Now his name is like totally missed me. Anyway, at the time he was running for Senator in Lincoln and uh, he, we chatted and he was like, oh yeah, I have theater background. And I was like, dude, you should be in our film. <laughs> Chad and I, we were literally already like prepping up for the shoot. And I was like, we're writing a scene for this guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Why not? You should put the pressure on yourself. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. 
Sometimes that helps. Do you work well under pressure? I like to think that I do. I've spent a lot of time thinking about being a good leader for a group. Directing is a lot of things, like you guys have said earlier, like herding cats. And I remember sitting down with Daniel Iskey. He's a filmmaker. You guys oh, obviously yeah. know him here in Omaha. And, and talking to him about what is being a good director like beyond like the vision, right? Because all of us here in this room, whenever we are directing, we're also producing would be my almost 100% guess, right? Correct. So you're wearing two hats. And you're always thinking about the money and the time as well as your vision. So you're trying to make decisions all the time. But um, I like to be calm under pressure. I'm not a screamer. I don't like to make people feel shitty. I'm not about humiliating. I'm all about you're here. I hope that you're excited. I'm down for you to be a part of this. If stuff starts to go awry and you're not showing up, you're out. No need to apologize. You're just, you're clearly not into it. You don't need to be involved anymore. That's even if the light guy is just screwing up the scene, like I'm professional. Go with love. Oh, okay. Get on out. Go on. Get, get, get. Me and you are done. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you know, like the very first movies I made, obviously, Best. we'll never see the light of day. Even well, we already got shot. some of them on YouTube. Oh, real. I hear that. Yeah. Uh, but we got some of them on Vimeo where he doesn't go. I always say every project you work on, you learn something. You should always learn something and then put it towards your next project. And, you know, as you, you go on, I mean, and you try to make your production value higher on each one and stuff that comes with a lot of, you know, stress and money and stuff like that. What to you is the most stressful thing when filming a movie and this is a two-part question. What is your, the most stressful thing during filming principal photography? And then what's the most stressful thing in post-production for you? So on every film, at the beginning of the film process, like the production, there is a point where Chad and I look at each other and just go, I'm never fucking making another film again. <laughs> <laughs> fuck this shit. Yeah. Fuck all these people. What the fuck are we even doing? And it usually comes because we feel stressed about all of the pieces coming together, especially on that first or second day of filming. Once you get past that first or second day, the river, the machine just starts to run. Mm. You know what I mean? And everything tends to come out smoother. But man, coming up to this, because those are the moments when someone suddenly drops out, you suddenly lose like a key location, vehicle, something, anything. Your caterer, oh, I can't even be there. Sorry. And you're like, yeah. Fuck, fuck, fuck. Or, you know, you show up and like everyone's just looking at you Lunchables. like, we don't know how to solve this problem. And you're like, oh, okay. I have 75 things that I'm thinking about mm. right now. And most of them are about how can we make this look fucking good, but you guys don't know where to park. All right. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about that. <laughs> so those are the things probably that I hate the most and get frustrated the most about that process. Because here's the thing. And this is just the D&D &D, like fantasy part of me coming out is every time you step to the camera, you are fighting a battle with time. Time is the dragon. Your team is like, you know, you guys are all there. Your cleric, right? Your paladin, your dwarf, the, whatever they are. And you're all just like, how can we beat this beast before it fucking beats us? Because that clock is just rolling. You can't because your mage is in a hole. Yeah, you have no idea. Like, mate, come on. In post production, it wasn't on purpose. <laughs> you guys could have helped. <laughs> I think in post production, the hardest thing is everything falls away. No one cares anymore. You know what I mean? You've lost the passion. The machine has just come to it. And it's just you and whoever your editor is that are just like pushing it forward. 
And here's the thing is a lot of times after I'm done shooting, I can't even face the footage. And it's not even like it's bad, but all I can see is the flaws in the places where like it didn't come together the way I thought it was gonna. I have had to bring people in as like an energy anchor to just sit with me and be like kind and loving as I force myself to go through the footage and like log it. Like hit the gong again, hit the gong. (laughs) Oh my God. Or, you know, like we will farm out the logging of footage to friends of ours that are interested in doing it or seeing it. Like, please just rename these files and give us like time code about what is this? What scene was this? Because we do use a slate when we shoot features, but we don't probably in almost every other scenario. But for features, it is really key, especially when you go into the editing process. You guys know right. you're just or having separate huge, sound too. Yeah, baskets of exactly. So one more body was the first movie I edited myself, which I enjoy because there's a lot of times where I'm sitting with an editor and it's like I'm trying to explain something to them and they're not getting it. And I, because that was kind of the way with Under the Willow Tree and nothing against the editor of it, but it was like they had to edit it because the footage was so high quality that the program I use for editing couldn't support it. So it was just hard for me to sit there trying to explain. They're not getting it. I wanted to just grab the mouse so bad and just be like, can I just do this real quick? But that was frustrating for me. But I was going to ask, like when I was editing One More Body and something would not fall into place no matter what I did, I was just yelling, cussing up a storm. Are you like that or are you pretty calm when you're you're editing and something doesn't go the way it's supposed to be? And no matter what you try, it's just not working. Like when you didn't get the footage that you thought and, yeah. the, and the shots that you did get cut together like shit. And you're like, how am I going to fix this? Mm-hmm. How am I going to fix this? Yeah. So you start kind of messing around, right? Yeah. Oh, man. I'm not a yeller, but I do get like cold sweats, especially when I'm like, fuck, that did not work. <laughs> but then the good news is, is I do know like with editing, you do have that final control. So you can usually something, something, something. Yeah. 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 In the end, everything worked out, but it's, it's just like, oh my, there's times where I would have to, it just wasn't working. So I'd call it a day. I'd come back to it to the next day. And I'm like, oh, oh, all I had to do was do this and it works. So yeah. But I tell you what, editing up here, I haven't really edited anything in our office, but the people across the hall, when I start editing unemployed W2, when we shoot it, gonna they're going to be in for a rude awakening. And they will just constantly be like, Jeremy, is, yeah. is everything all right? I'm fine. I just want to cost do- a studio around here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, it's not part now, of the contract. Now, have you filmed anything since COVID? Yeah, let's see. We made, it came from Bjorn. That was December of 20, maybe 2020, I think. And that was in Flatwater mm-hmm. Film Festival. And then we shot another short this past October in 21 called Milo Man, The Legend of Milo Man. Actually, that was with Amos, who came up here with me today. So he wrote it, I directed it, and we co-edited it. So that's a like a 20-minute short. Did COVID, how did that change production for you? I would say both of those productions were really, really tiny. Whereas before I might've involved more people, it was literally like a crew of three and then just as few actors as we could write an interesting story with. See, we did, uh, when we were doing Under the Willow Tree, we actually had to postpone that because I was feeling sick a couple days before we were supposed to film. And it's like, whether it was COVID or not, I don't know. I just didn't want to chance it. And that was a tough decision because even though it was a small crew and cast, it was still 
know, quite a bit of people. And this is something that we were going to enter into the Omaha Film Festival and we had deadlines for it. So that was the toughest decision I think I've had to make. Um, but luckily everybody was cool with it. Cool with yeah. it. They were all agreed. Like the first, I was like, we could do this date. And everyone's like, yeah, no problem. So it's like, I worry about, you know, with unemployed W2, because that's a huge cast, as you I can know. see from the wall. And these are just speaking parts. These aren't extras and stuff. And it's going to be a bigger crew. Like I know COVID's kind of, COVID's over on the Nobody downhill now, yeah. I guess, or we, whatever. We but worry, we're worrying about gas prices. Yeah, I, I I just worry about you know if I have a scene with like twenty cast members in it and like one. ten crew members and one of them doesn't feel well, is that gonna bring the whole? We're gonna have to reschedule. I mean, this is it's gonna be quite the production. So it's like I don't know. I I just didn't know your take on COVID and how it affects the filming process. I can't really speak to that truthfully, but the thing that I can speak about is scheduling is a nightmare. Oh, and no. so how great is it that in Under the Willow that folks were willing, they had the opportunity even to reschedule that. Because, I mean, that's probably one of the things recently, especially with bigger projects, that just made me go, I can't even deal with this. Yeah, It's too much to try and balance together all these things. And, I mean, I know that that's stuff that, like, feature filmmakers deal with in Hollywood all the time. I think about the way the Royal Tannenbaums was shot, where you get, like, Gwyneth Paltrow, we've got her for a week. Let's shoot all these scenes with her. But when I think about the actors that I typically would work with in the Midwest, it's hard for them... I prefer to shoot more linearly if possible right. because it's easier for them to track their emotional changes. Yeah. Not everyone is like a Sydney, you know what I mean? Who's really thinking about it from a big, big picture and can come to it like that. So yeah, I feel that. And then you got guys like Justin over here that just ruin everything. No matter just what setting it's on. I feel like you're just getting thrown under the bus. That's what we here. do here. We got a bit we, we, bus schedules. Kind He's of, our punching yeah. bag. Yeah. That's I have fair. no fun, apparently. He's our punching this is bag. True. And As Lonnie, you see from the sign. Lonnie no, burns his feet. I do. I tried fishing. Bird. One time. <laughs> One time. <laughs> Two times. I almost set Two myself times. on fire once, and I'm never going to live it down again. Or I guess one time, two feet. So. <laughs> yeah. uh, fishing is dangerous. It's a mixed bag. It's a good mixed bag. Yeah. This is kind of segue into a different segment, and I want to bring it back to the film eventually. But kind of like what Jeremy was saying, one of my very first introductions to you was a piece that I forgot the name, you know, and I it was loved like, it. What was it? It was uh, great. We'll get to it. I, she she had, just cemented it back to me recently. It had Mel Gibson so, in it. Uh, so he was dead the whole time. I went to uh, I went to a um, a screening of a movie. Well, it was a feature at the time. I guess it was a series, and I was like, "What the hell is this?" Like. I am so intrigued about like, you know, the, the use of sets and the dimensional play of everything. And I was like, that is freaking awesome. And that was filmed here. Kind of like the same thing that Jeremy was saying with like blood rights. And it turned out to be a series called heartless. And to me that put your name on my map. I was like, holy shit. Like, so when I saw you in places, like I was actually, I don't know if you want to say starstruck, I was intrigued by you. I'm like, that's freaking Dorothy right there. That's her. He had your poster in his room. Yeah. I'm so <laughs> flattered by that. I can't even tell you. But recently, you just dropped a book with the same name. That was just this year, was it? Yeah. Right on. That's 2017's Heartless, the book. Oh, I'm not even that, but <laughs> Literature! That's so good. Yeah. Something so good. I can put yeah. in my put I in. Love it. Yeah. 
Sorry, not 2017. 2017 Corruptor. I just fucked all that up. No, I thought it was great. You better So yeah, you and what's her name? Brittany Daly. Brittany Daly. I mean, you probably had a hand on how much so of it is your like, percentage. The, I wrote the bulk of the novel, but what I wanted from Brittany was, I love Brittany Daly so much. She's so talented, but her life is so full. She doesn't have a ton of time for creativity. So I was like, girl, what if you wrote like a couple of short stories from your character's perspective that I could include to like and pad out this book that's I don't even remember how many pages it was it felt like a little novella right. to me and she was so sweet and was like yeah 100% I'll do that and then she did which in itself is awesome and amazing and so I just incorporated those she wrote I wrote and then I did all the editing for everything gotcha and then was like well, I'm fucking putting this together as an ebook and you know if you guys have done any self-publishing like the you know you're trying it's just like editing you're just trying to make it as professional as possible. So you're like fucking checking all the boxes, putting all together and checking all your correct, you know what I mean? And then like prepping it up for how eBooks look at the blah, 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 boring ass shit. (laughs) But you jump through the hoops because that's what you want. Right. It's another, like, I mean, listeners can find that on the uh, Kindle Play Store or whatever on uh, for 99 cents for not even a dollar. Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Smashwords. Yes. So it's only 181 pages. Granted, I did not finish it. I'm actually at the last Jeez. chapter right before Dahlia's I'm sure it was great. Oh, I don't know. So, so I'm excited to see how it finishes. And I'm going to say a name later on. Uh, right now, we're going to kind of do like a, a minor book review. I don't want to reveal. I'll, I'll let you reveal as much as you want to oh. reveal. But, man, I had some vibes on this that was like, this is, this is freaking cool. Because I started reading this and then I messaged you. I'm like... This reminds me so much of some work that you did. And you're like, yeah, it's the same thing. It's Heartless. I'm like, okay. So I haven't seen Heartless in what, 10? 2013 is when we were shooting it, but I bet we did not finish it until like 2017. Oh, really? I feel like it was longer than that. But it was yeah. probably a long ass time. Yeah. So it's been over five years and it was like, yeah. And I was intrigued by it again. And like so many things that you put in it, like the actual locations, although like one of the addresses for like the storage thing was, was like a number or two off. So it was like maybe for rights or something correct, you were trying to, correct. okay. But, uh, but what does the numbers mean? The address. Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> Where uh, to find it, dummy? Stupid. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So I'll give the heartless synopsis. If do you, Oh, please. Do you know it by heart? No, no, please, please. (laughs) So the heartless synopsis is meat hearts have no magic without a shadow heart to compress, harness and bend energy. You're screwed. Magically speaking, Alex Crawley was born with a shadow heart. Now, thanks to his father, he's heartless for the past 10 years. He's been searching for his father. Now he's close to finding him. Alex's plan is simple. Find his father, get his heart back, kill his father. What could go wrong? Damn. So that's the synopsis of it. And I, got, I didn't have a chance to read it. I am going to read it, but just that. I'm like, holy shit. He's yeah. not going to read it. I said, are you going to read it? And he's like, fuck that. <laughs> so Words. We haven't really. Look, Lonnie already gave me the word on you guys. And Justin, from that, I just appreciate so much you reading it. So oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. you. It's very um, entertaining. And it's right up my alley, too. So, yeah, we haven't really done a book review. I mean, I guess we've done one book review on this, which was a Mark you, Z. Daniel You Lewis did a book review. <laughs> Lonnie and I sat here. I read the book he, he House of reviewed, yeah. I think. I flipped through it. 
just to see how weird it was. From someone It'll who fuck has, you up. From yeah. someone who has wow. OCD, though, trying to look through and read that book. I see. I read it in ebook form where it wasn't all fucked up. Mm. But from you mean write it. Right, yeah. I write it. Yeah, but from actually seeing the copied novel in front of me in my hand, I could look at like 30 pages and I'm like, no, take this away. I'm going to have a fit. <laughs> I couldn't do it. It's daunting. I mean, we tried giving something to Jeremy, like a 12-page child's book, and he was I like, re- oh. I read it to him all the time. He got freaking meat sweats looking. At you don't want to <laughs> eat like, meat. <laughs> I'm not that delicious. <laughs> My beans are refried, and my cheese looks suspicious. Wouldn't you rather have a hamburger or pizza, please? Or how about a big bowl of macaroni and cheese? It's not done. You don't have any cheese. Oh, we're going to just stop it right now. Yeah, I'm done. We're on hard. We're not enough cheese. This can't continue. (laughs) So how did, I mean, the book... For me to ask you how Heartless came to be as far as like the book, it came because of the series and you just want to, I think you pretty much. It's true. That. Well, you know, I want to write books that are longer than that, but here's something that I've discovered. It is very difficult for me to write an original story that has no other structure to stand on. I would always stop at like seven pages and I just couldn't figure it out. I just had cool ideas, but they didn't seem to connect anything. And so Heartless, the novel was like a, it was like a learning process for me. I was like, I really liked this script and the writing process for it was great. What if I novelized it and what would that be like? And it was cool because interestingly, like in the novel, like things came to mind where I was like, oh man, I wish that we'd known this when we were making the, you know, the series, it would have been cooler and tighter. And there were scenes that I added in that didn't exist in the series. And so it was a great experience. Right. And there's more that you can do with the book than you can the you know, series as well. Because that's why that fucking series took so long to finally drop is this is how Chad and I often approach anything that involves effects work, which is we're like, well, we'll just, let's just green screen it and then we'll figure it out. (laughs) And I can't even tell you, like we hired effects artists from India, like two guys to help us put those effects together because we couldn't find anyone here that really, I don't know, I can't remember the process we went through, but I remember going like, hey, there's this one board where these VFX artists like hang out, a lot of them are for India, let's hire one of those guys. And so then Chad ended up being like the effects supervisor, like this is what we're looking for. Here's like some mood board aesthetic stuff for you guys to look at. And then they would like cut stuff together and like create all the blah. And that's great because at the end we're doing like this rooftop thing. And I remember just being like, we'll just cut the blue sky out around Karis. And there's like these huge shots of her where every freaking thing is like rotoscoped out. <laughs> it's just like, Jeez. what? Was I thinking? That's all right. This now uh, it's done. judging, I guess, by this writing, or not just from the book, but like your your projects, your films, and all that. I kind of equate you to, and not a lot of people like her, but I am a fan of her, and she just recently passed. So uh, I pretty much equate you to like what Anne Rice is to vampires, so you are to witches. So it's like that's that's pretty cool. That's freaking yeah. awesome. But in the book Heartless, so you have like these people who are considered magicals. It sounds like it's more like a bloodline thing. So you are born into like a magical. Is that how it is? Otherwise, there is tech that can also kind of 
do something like that? Sort of, yeah. It is kind of complicated in the idea of, I was working with, like, I feel like actual people do have energy that some people can sort of manipulate. Like, you talked about chakras at some point. I'm kind of a fan of chakras as, like, an energy point. And I was like, wouldn't it be cool if, like, magic was the ability to, like, compress and push that that energy out through your chakras and but you'd have to have like a thing that not everybody was born with to do that and that's where the shadow heart comes into play they're mutants with their shadow hearts and their magic abilities it all makes sense now yes. so it's like pretty much magicals have two hearts so i mean like humans only have the one and then you have like that shadow one which kind of is your harness or yeah you know, what causes you to wield such powers correct and not everybody shares the same thing which i liked about this is because it was different like you had i don't know if you want to call it mining magic like is it like digital mining like you can store it or how does it mm -hmm. produce like your mind just kind of works with it, and that's the good thing about a book because it leaves it open and that was kind of beautiful for it in your studies or followings all this like where do you draw like the most inspiration when it comes to witchery like is it general pagans celtics like asatrus mystics shamans druids Dianic witches, etc. No, all of that tracks. I have an aunt who's a pagan priestess in North Carolina. And so for most of my life, that's been something that she's been super into. And I'll <laughs> hear off and on about all of that. And my dad was super into tarot, which is weird when you consider he was also evangelical Christian, but I can't that really, go. I don't know what's up with that. <laughs> that's a form of divination. So they say, and that's kind of a against like what I would think, but so, yeah. And, you know, I definitely read my fair share of fantasy and I was fascinated by the idea of women that could control power and use it however they got it. I mean, obviously I can, you can approach that through like the devil aspect, but you can also approach it through like the natural world aspect. So the occult has always been something that I've been side interested in. Well, and this book has a lot of like Aleister Crowley. Exactly. Like, and not only that, but so I do have a theory and I haven't finished it so I can't entirely say so like Why? my favorite character theories you don't understand all the time I've got that. a theory my favorite character in this so far has been the justice character <gasps> she's because I, I can't plant her just yet so Alistair Crowley and Cthulhu kind of share the same universe in this and justice isn't so much a human or a magical it seems like I was like is she an old one or a deep one or is she from like Right. She's style? clearly from another universe where she is a much bigger and scarier thing, right? And this little pinhole star that we see of her in this is, yeah, I don't, I'll be honest with you, I'm not even 100% sure what she was. If I was to write something that really like detailed that more, but you are absolutely right in the sense that she is a larger deity. Right. And just for her name, Justice, because she is constantly balancing two things at once, it seems like, like who she actually is, her actual desires for Alex. And she's as justice, the Liberty justice. She follows the book, which she follows the night book. And I guess I was just kind of putting that together for that. But I can't think of her as an old one. And this is only because old ones are so terrifying and giant with their tentacles and like eyes in places that they shouldn't be that surely that that's not what she is. Other side characters. Did you attempt? No, cause you never finished it. I, didn't need to finish it. I was going to take your copy. I don't. It's digital. It's digital. Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> whatever. <laughs> no. So Robin Ariel, I kind of see them as like the bishop and the rook or castle or whatever. Like one's like extremely rigid and the other one's a little like she's straight to the point, cut and cross. And I couldn't 
also placed them early on. They were fun characters, just kind of pestering back at each other and all that. Like, yeah. They make me laugh because they're in love with each other, but they just can't even accept it. Yeah, they try to save each other so much, but mm-hmm. they, well, she kind of talks like, you know, I don't yeah, care. She, she has that I don't give a shit mood. Right, right. But you were releasing this book earlier this year, and I wanted to pull you on to discuss a lot of this. Like, and I'm excited to get to the Dahlia, the diaries. Is that going to be very captivating as well? Like, I mean, God damn, I hope so. <laughs> yes, yes, 100% it will be captivating. I will give you a one-star review if, if this does. <laughs> if it does not follow <laughs> Fantastic Brittany, novel. do not let me down. Yeah, and like, because I feel like at this point, I mean, especially since it ends with Dahlia does stuff. No, I feel like she's going to be coming back, but yeah. Um, the way that you wrote this is very easy to read. The terminology, like, it, it works well. Like, it doesn't daunt you. It's not overwhelming. Even young readers, you know, teen readers and stuff like that, I think they would really enjoy this book. What about me? You probably not, because I, all I have to say is 181 pages. And <laughs> you're like... <laughs> <laughs> uh. But the way you're describing it, I, I am, and I'm not just saying this because she's sitting... <laughs> Five feet from me. Excuse me, six feet. Social the, distancing. Social distancing. <laughs> if you like this series, I think you would like this book. I tried to rewatch the series. I probably got maybe a half hour in. It's what fifty-five minutes or so. That's probably oh, at true. least the feature. You know, yeah, the feature yeah, cut all together. The the feature is all of the series, right? You didn't have to. That's right. Okay. Yeah, no, we just cut it all together. We originally wanted to do some additional shooting, and I was working pre-pandemic, kind of hard. Getting James Masters Marsden. He's the guy who played Spike and Buffy ah. to play Alex's dad. Didn't he pass? Good lord, I hope not. But Bloody. maybe he did. Anyway, um, but he had he was still doing like bit parts on Y five O. But I was like, for just a couple thousand bucks, could you maybe give us like a day? You know, eight hours. We could go out to L.A. and shoot some stuff with you. It never really came together, but it would have been a nice addition to the feature, and it would have been a sweet-ass name drop. So, maybe someday. Yeah. Oh, yes. One day. One day. But yeah, no, the way he that you... still alive. Okay, cool. Oh, thank you. I think we were all Googling at the thank same you. time. <laughs> I should have. That guy's great. Whatever. Anyway. No sound effects here. So, yeah, no, it's an easy to read. The relationships, they all have, like, their own dams or obstacles, and it works itself out well. Kind of a fast resolve, especially between Alex and Dahlia. It's like how fast they were supposed to, I mean, but they probably know each other well enough that they, I don't know if you want to say get over things, but I I did like that, that they were able to find something to possibly team up to face Papa Bear. (laughs) Right in that moment. Yeah. And I haven't, where I'm at, I'm probably like uh, 154 pages or so. So I I have a good 30 pages left. The initial fight between Alex is it Betty? Beat? Betty? Oh, Bet Noir. I, I didn't know how to pronounce her name. I was like, Betty? Betty? Is it Betty? We could call her Betty. But yeah, Betty so Noir. Injustice, that got me hard. Parasite Eve. Well, I should probably not put Wait, <laughs> space. Wait, That got oh. me hard Parasite Eve vibes. <laughs> oh, gotcha. Did you? <laughs> That's, the there's a bit of a. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Sorry. definitely no, reading good, it. Yeah. Phrasing. <laughs> Phrasing. That's how I wrote that. Yeah, no. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Were you a fan of like the Parasite Eve games back in the day? Holy crap, no. Oh. Tell me a little bit <laughs> no. about them. It's, uh, I wasn't at all. <laughs> it's more Japanimated, like oh. PS2 game. Like if you, I'll send you a link to that. Yeah, like, you 100% should send They me do have like their, their animation back then that was like, whoa, the storyline was freaking captivating. Like at the end when the 
kind of a possession, if you will, but like they have like this elaborate fight, and this is like a rooftop fight, and it reminds me of like the helicopter pad fight in Parasite Eve. But it's like I imagine because you said that Justice kind of grows to like nine feet in her form. Yep. And it was like I'm thinking even bigger than that because I mean like nine feet is intimidating as fuck, but but is it giant? Yeah, no. yeah, yeah. I want to. And then, like, you know, the way that you use the symbols to open doorways and voids, and are those just for doorways? Can it be like a box? Is that how the book was taken? Stolen, taken. Or did they physically go in? When I looked at it in the series, we always just used it for doors because I thought that that would be cool. But the idea of expanding it into boxes was something that I had thought about. That anything, essentially, that you could open could become a door. I never talked about it in the novel, though, so maybe stop reading my mind and shit. <laughs> I'll try not to. Okay. <laughs> but no, it was, it was a very compelling story. Again, I think I might be extremely biased because I saw the Heartless series feature, etc. Is there, can, can people see the Heartless? Wow, that is a good question. I should send you guys a link. For a while, Chad and I had pulled it down because we were thinking about releasing it as a feature and we were pro blah, 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 blah. Then the pandemic and et cetera. So yeah, let me do that. I'm going to make a note to myself on this piece of paper that Lonnie's given me unless that's not cool. Yeah, no, it's got two sides. Sweet. Hey, thank you so much for reading it. Like, you know, as a writer and honestly, as a filmmaker, anytime someone takes the time out of their day to like experience something you've made, you're like, you've just given me a gift. I can't even tell you. But also the opportunity to like talk about it with other people and hear things that they saw that you didn't think about or ways that they like perceived things. Man, I can't even tell you. It was a pleasure to write it, but it's more of a pleasure to have a chance to talk about it with you guys. So so I have to ask you this. You've written screenplays and you've written a novel. Which one do you enjoy better? Like, I I really would love to write a novel. I like the Glam Girl Girls modeling group I used to do. There's so much of that story that never saw the light of day, and I've changed it over the years. I'd like to make a movie out of it, but man, that would be a huge budget for that. And there would be a lot of special effects and stuff. So it's like writing it in book form, I think would just be easier. I'm quoting the word easier, but what are the differences to you in writing both those and which do you find more relaxing, easier to do? Because me writing descriptive words is going to be hard to put it in like a prop novel form. Like red, blue. Yeah. <laughs> Orange. School. School. Yeah. Um, Triangle. See, my not even two-year-old can do that. <laughs> that is, that's a great question because it's something I've thought about a bunch. So here's what I think about when I think about writing screenplays. Honestly, those are to some degree easier. You just have to learn to kind of rein yourself back to the resources that you have available or fuck it, write whatever you want and, you know, try and sell or have someone else make it for you. But the thing that I have found for myself a lot, and I see this in my movies, is I like to get real baroque and kind of complicated. I like to see those side characters. What's their life like? What are those interactions like? And it floats up a movie. My theory is, is that movies should be simple. A simple story, a simple, you know, 90 minutes to two hours max, because it's the visuals and what the actors bring to the story. So you can have, you, you can tell the same story a million fucking times. Like, I don't know, like Die Hard's one of my favorite movies. And you can see, you know, that storylines in a million places. 
but every time it's told, it's a little bit different, different actors, a little bit of different style. You don't need weirdly that much when it comes to story in movies. You just need it to tie up nice and be easy to follow. That, I think, is one of the flaws that I perceive in my own screenwriting. Now, the only time that that's maybe... I feel like has been better is when we wrote Heartless because I wrote Heartless as kind of a group. It was me, Chad, and our friend Mike Johnson. And I would come in and be like, I need this to happen. And they would brainstorm and I'd be like, oh, that's a great idea. Because when I'm writing on my own, there's a whole lot of like, I don't know, maybe if I add a new character, (laughs) you know what I mean? And then you get to the end and it's just like this giant, bloated, awesome weight. So I told myself, I was like, I'm going to give myself permission in writing novels to just be like, whatever you want. You want to add a new character, do it. You want to write like five scenes about whatever is important in their life that doesn't really fucking matter. That's fine. But what happens is even in this scenario, I feel the burden of creating a narrative that is, you know, you can get your arms around it. It doesn't, it can't have all these tentacles that are like flailing Flailing, off in some random direction. And so I would say, you know, screenplays are honestly easier to write because I feel like they can be simpler and I can constantly just got to pare that down, Dorothy, pare it down, pare it down. (laughs) But novels feel like they give me so much satisfaction because as a kid, I was a huge reader. And so being able to write a novel and then have someone read it and talk about it or read it and be like, oh, this part was really cool. It's like, oh, A few more of those I want to knock out, and then we can move off of Heartless if you want. But you do have a gem in here that I feel like you should polish. There is a awesome, like, a, a you can make this a children's story. You have, what is it, on around, like, page 100, there's a once upon a time type of thing. And it was an awesome, like, children's story, kind of like a returning to innocence. Do something with that. That would be awesome. Make give it a make it a children's Quit book. Bossing yeah. her around, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you do this to everybody. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was it's it's an awesome. Put the yeah. gun down, <laughs> man. <laughs> no, don't, Jeremy. No, really, I will. No, I'm just. Kidding. But is it the is it the story about? So the once upon a time there was a brother and a sister who yes. were born into magic, and it's like like once a I don't know it's probably because I was already reading up into it or how much invested I was into it, but like you already have so much with it that like it, it, it writes itself and you can, I mean, like a prequel. Yeah. You know, and yes. at least once they finish this 50 times when they're a kid, they can move on to read this. Yeah, let's write that down. I'm, <laughs> quick, yeah. quick making a note. <laughs> 10%. That's all. I'll touch. <laughs> so also another question I had about like, so the heartless, the people who have been, their, their hearts have been removed and Alex is referred to as the beast because somebody's heart is removed. Normally they wouldn't be able to use pass through magic. Exactly. Would they? That's correct. Because he has some sort of, I guess when he, they keep on calling him a beast, I'm thinking of a beast as something big. I'm like, I haven't really. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Uh, is it because he's just like so scrappy or something like that? That's why they call him a beast. Well now, like now is where we're coming against my flaws as a, as a writer, things like him being called a beast. feels cool to me because I think that, Magical beings would see him as someone who had been magic. So it's kind of like losing the conscious part of your brain. Now you're just an animal. Gross. You're a beast, you know, just digging Uh, in the earth. It's more of a insult, not necessarily a... Not something that they're necessarily... Something to be feared or whatever. Disgusted by it. Oh, they don't want that. But the thing is, like, how can he work that magic? And to my mind, it's kind of by will alone. 
It's his desire for revenge and the anger that he feels in how he was done so wrong and hurt by so many people that weirdly makes him able to still tap into some of that magic. He shouldn't be able to. He should be dead. Magicians can't live without their shadow hearts, but he did because mm. fuck his dad. Just fuck that guy. It's like, <laughs> I'm going to live because you suck. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to live to kill you. There's also another thing I think you can go further with as well. Like I wanted to know, I mean, this can go even darker too. Like all the felled agents, they go to the underground. So it's like, what's this place? This is kind of, you know, let's go here. A few more. I think one of my favorite lines here was like, unicorns love malls. <laughs> yes. Oh my God, Justin. I love that line so much when I wrote it. That <laughs> uh, was uh, uh, also the bookstore that, sorry. Well, I guess it is a bookstore. The book maze. It's like justice is leading him through like this book maze. And then she sort of disappears. I mean, like she takes her routes, but, and he's like lost in his own mental. It sounds like there's delusions happening at this point and he's stuck in the self-help yeah. spot. It's like, you don't realize that you are the only person. It's like, it's right there. It's, it's in front of you. Yeah. But <laughs> yeah, that's true because that's, she wants to have a relationship with him. And the, all he can think about is all the women that have used and abused him. And he's just like, I can't, I'm a, a g- <laughs> right. freeze up. <laughs> it's like, she's supposed to be like a godlike. I mean, she's a step away from true deity. It seems like, like, once she, what was it, like the star kind of grants her, like the gods or something like that can kind of make her one of them or something like that. Yep. But yep. she's, she just wants to get, I don't know if I want to say take it to pound town. But <laughs> <laughs> she's been reading him. She's super yeah. hot for his action. Okay. For real. Yeah. She wants to be his girlfriend. That, it's more innocent. I just said it kind of dirty, but it's saying, an excellent book. Is that the book. part that got you hard? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's an excellent book. I, I definitely recommend it. Check it out. Heartless. There's a few covers. It looks like. There's yeah, like, that is true. That's right. I got the, the neon pink cover with the heart and who does the cover yeah. art for you? I did the most recent one, the neon pink one, but I have a friend out in California, Nikki Meeks, and she did the cover. Um, the beige. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Half face. The half face one. Yeah. And then I think Mike Johnson also did a cover version for me too. He's a good graphic artist as well. So yeah. But yeah. So check it out. 99 cents on the places. Amazon. <laughs> Amazon. Barnes and Noble. So smash words. I have a suggestion for you with this. Do you have. Some notes here. Do you have a um, an audio version of it? No, but I have been thinking about doing an audio book of it. I think, and I'm being for real dead serious when I say this. That I should. Because, uh, Justin, <laughs> you're oh. wa- sitting here watching He's being you. serious. I am being serious. <laughs> okay. Like, this is the first heartfelt thing I've said about you. Your your excitement in talking to her about this is just, like, radiating off of you. And I think having him read it, I think... You would get cost a lot. You would get that excitement <laughs> that the the listener would want to hear when somebody's reading it to him. So that's just my two cents. If you ever decide to do that, I think he'd be good at doing it. You want me to read it again? <laughs> oh man! <laughs> 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 I keyed. <laughs> but yeah, no, amazing book. I, I recommend it for everybody. Five out of five stars. Sweet. Thank nope, you. wrong one. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> it's about to dun 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 it. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. Man, but yeah. Do you have anything else that you wanted to drop with uh, Heartless? No, that's all of the good things. Yeah, please read it and listen to Justin. He's right. Um, <laughs> this is true for once. <laughs>
<laughs> do we want to break this up, Lonnie? Yeah, Dorothy, something we do with all our guests who comes through. We like to have a little game just to show our camaraderie and show to have a little fun. And I was so excited to have someone who is also into literature and into writing so much that I can finally do this because I work with two utter buffoons when it comes to reading. Uh, you think that's an insult to me? I do a lot of writing. So I have a kind of a, a little quiz that we're going to go through, and it's all based on uh, our literature knowledge. But to make it fair for you guys, I made it all on horror literature. Oh, okay. I don't. Make it fun for you. So I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to get 15 seconds. That's why I gave you a piece of paper. Write, write down your answer. Right now? Well, when I ask the question, yeah, sure. And then uh, at the end, I'll have you read your answers, and you'll get a point per answer. You're right. Now, these are only author's names or the title of the book. So That's any questions? I've, made, I've tried to make some easy, but some are, so I guess, more difficult. The only thing we can write down is a title of a book or the author or an author name. Yeah, those are the only okay. two answers. Is it a be. point? Just point per answer. Gotcha. So if you got both? Oh, gotcha. Or are okay. you doing? No, it's either it's either one or the other. I, there's only one question where it's both. Okay. And I'll let you know. Thank you. Oh, I will. All right. Ooh. You get 15 seconds on each, and I'll skip to the next. Are you guys ready? No. Yes. All right. Like I said, some are softballs, some you're going to have to work on. Softballs. I didn't study for this. Good. Can we use our phones? For no. Okay. If you can Google it in 15 <laughs> seconds. All right. Okay. What about calculators? Number one, which is credited as Stephen King's first published novel? I don't know that shit. Stop! Jeez. All right. Sorry. That was a little loud. <laughs> yeah. I apologize. Uh, number two. What was Oscar Wilde's only novel? Famous short story writer, Oscar Wilde, or poetry writer. Number three. What was the best-selling horror novel of the 60s? Of the 1960s? Yes, of the decade. <laughs> this is actually quite easy. Yeah, I told you something was <laughs> <softball. laughs> So, uh, number four. So, one of the books we all grew up with and we loved, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. But who actually wrote Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark? It's an iconic cover. You know it when you see it. You can probably tell me all the stories in it. But who actually wrote it? Next. Number five. This one's tougher. I understand if you don't get this one. This Australian native has many USA Today bestsellers like Hunted and Craven Manor. But what was her first published work? This is a twofer if you want. You get a point for each of them. But it is author and her first novel published. Number six. This author has released such amazing novels as The Heart-Shaped Box, Horns, and Nosferatu, and is trying to live outside of the shadow of his iconic father. Who is that writer? One of my personal favorites in my top three. Don't tell me you don't read. I Two of his works are a TV show and a movie. I just laid out, so. From like the 1910s? No. <laughs> <laughs> close, close. All right, number seven. This author's career took off after his debut novel in 1971, 
but many enjoy his second novel, Legion, in 1983 just as much. Who is that author? And what was his debut novel? Question number eight. One of my favorite novels, I have it tattooed on my body that's in sight pretty much most of the year, is just a mere 1,138 pages. What is that book? You just wanted him to talk about his body again. Mm. Yeah. Wild horse. Do it slower now? <laughs> With a French accent. <laughs> All right, number nine. Reading this nonfiction novel got me into horror literature and taught me about two of my biggest vices. Those vices are Ed and Lorraine Warren. What's that novel? And this is something we have discussed on the podcast before. All right, and number 10. This triple threat from the capital city has been putting out amazing writing and content from the mid-2000s and shows no sign of stopping, but only picking up the pace. What author am I talking about? Come on, Justin. This is a cakewalk. <laughs> I, I got this. I'm, ser- I'm, I'm wondering if you put down one serious answer. Me? Yeah. Uh, maybe a couple. All right. Gentlemen and gentle lady, I'm going to read the questions again. And then I want your answers. <clears throat> All right. Number one, which was Stephen King's first credited novel? What do you got? I know it's wrong, but I put The Shining. Okay. Carrie. Carrie? What Cujo. It is Carrie. Woohoo! She cheated. She cheated, <laughs> she cheated by knowing Stephen King. <laughs> All right. What was Oscar Wilde's only novel? <laughs> and this is a horror thing, so... God it was it. a horror novel. The Great Gatsby. It was a horror to read it that. It was not The Great Gatsby. Oh, Jeremy, anything? Uh, yes, I put Steel Magnolias. <laughs> close, close, close. Dorothy, anything? i got to be honest. No, I put The Importance of Being Earnest because I could it, not think of it. That was a good play. I worked it, on. And this is a surprising one. I didn't know he wrote it either, but the picture of Dorian Gray. That oh, was my man. second guess. Yes. Gosh. What? I was yeah. just looking at that on the, the play store, the bookstore today. Pick, oh. Yeah, Oscar Wilde's picture of Dorian Gray. Wow. What was the best-selling novel of the 60s, number three? Uh, Jeremy, I'll start with you. This one was obviously Steel Magnolias. <laughs> close, close. <laughs> Dorothy? I put Skyscraper because I was thinking about like all of those movies like, oh, Flood, Earthquake, blah, blah, blah. That's all I got. Sorry. Justin? Skyscraper. I, I, I put Frankenstein, but I also want to say Vertigo. In the... In 1960s, not yeah. 1860s. I, they had a rediscovery huh. in like booming. Really? What was it? It was Rosemary's Baby. God oh. damn it! Oh, That's God. close to Steel Magnolias. Okay. Should have known. It's got plant in it, rosemary and yeah. magnolias. Yeah, almost. Who wrote scary stories to tell in the dark? I know this is wrong, but I just put R.L. Stein. You are close, but you, it, he, he wrote books as well. <laughs> I also put R.L. Stein. <laughs> Interestingly, I put Jack Black, who played R.L. Stein oh. in the movie, because I <laughs> couldn't <laughs> remember R.L. Stein. <laughs> See, funny. everybody knows that book. I it's, can picture the it's cover, It's an yeah. iconic book, who but no one knows who wrote it. it Chevy it, Chase. It, it's... Alvin Schwartz. What? No. Yeah. Mel Brooks' pin name? You can call me Al. (laughs) All right. This one's tougher. I understand if you guys don't get it, but running running this hot, I'm not going to be surprised. This Australian native has a ton of USA Today top sellings, like Hunted and Craven Manor. (laughs) But what was her first name? Or what was her first published work? 
I bet you $100 you can guess what I wrote down. Steel Magnolias. Correct. And what was what was the author? Sally Fields. Close. <laughs> I just went with J.K. Rowling, who I know is Australian, and her first book, I believe it was Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Is that right? Am I right? Uh, no. God damn it. Close, though. She is Australian. Right? V.C. Andrews. And I'm just going to stop you there. No, <laughs> Damn it. But P.S. It, that's a good one. It you. is Darcy Coates. That's pretty much it. Ah. Ghost Camera. It's a pennant. I, I just think wow. she was in Steel Magnolia. I, so I, I recently that. fell in love with Darcy Coates. Even every single one of her books is The Haunting of. The Haunting <laughs> of. Ghost Camera. Haunted. The Haunting of. Absolutely love her, though. All right. This also this this author this awesome this awesome author this author has released such amazing novels as Heart Shaped Box Horns Nosferatu, but is trying to stay out of the, the the shadow of his iconic father. What author am I talking about? I put something King. You're you're close. You're on the right track. I think I'm going to give you half a point for that. Is it, I was I'm wanting to say Stephen King's son. The son. Yeah, I can't but, think of his first name, but, but I have, put. I know that's what you wanted to say, but what's on your piece of paper? I put Johnny Depp from the Stephen King movie Secret Window. <laughs> it was actually not a story; it was actually a short story, and it was called. That was based off of his son. Oh no, he wrote that book in like the early eighty. Well, I guess he would have been alive. So I get a point. Sure. <laughs> I put Joe Hill. That is the one. That is the one. Wait, from his dad who sold propane and propane accessories? (laughs) That's why he goes by Hill. He doesn't want people to be like, oh, this is Stephen King's side, whatever. But if you look at them, they're pretty much doppelgangers. Like, it's disgusting how much they look alike. That's a word we learned. Yeah. Nice. The German word. Doppelganger? All right. This author's career took off after his debut novel in 1971, but many enjoy his second novel, Legion, was released in 1983 just as much. Who is that author, and what was his debut novel? I put... <laughs> Steal my I, I put John Candy and Uncle Buck. Oh, the other one. Okay. <laughs> you were so close. Not one word you said was right, but I liked your spirit, kid. <laughs> I said Dean Koontz. But I could not think of one of his novels. So. Fair enough. Sorry, enough. Justin, I put after Googling it. Elsie <gasps> Minarik, uh, Little Bear. Yeah, that is incorrect. <laughs> okay. The answer I was looking for was William Peter Blatley, and that book was The Exorcist. Say that again. Blatley. Blatley. William Peter Blatley. You said you were sober tonight. Blatley. Blatley. That's probably the problem. Blatley. Just, just so you know, my next three answers are real answers. Are they real answers? <laughs> Good for you. Good, work. Good for you. It's really probably wrong, nice. but number eight, one of my favorite novels. I have the tattoo of it on my body. Comes in at a mere one thousand one hundred thirty-eight pages. What novel is that? I put it. Okay. I put clearly that is the writer's cut of the Stephen King novel that I cannot fucking think of the name of right now because it's great but it's the plague novel that's how I think about it so the stand the stand that's what I was thinking half a point I don't remember the name of it but Michelle Obama wrote it <laughs> so so Jeremy gets a point <laughs> you guys need to study Lonnie's body better <laughs> I do. Thank you. Nice work. (laughs) I can suck up. 
But can you? Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number nine. Reading this nonfiction novel got me into horror literature and taught me about my two biggest vices, Ed and Lorraine Warren. What novel am I talking about? Amityville Horror. Nice. Amityville Horror. Nice. <laughs> two points. <laughs> can I just say Amityville Horror? You yes. can. Okay. Not you can. I'll, I'll let it. I'll let it go. <laughs> All right, and number 10, this triple threat from the capital city has been putting out amazing writing from the mid-2000s, and she shows no sign of slowing down. So I don't think this is correct. I don't even think this is their real name, but I just put, is it H.P. Lovercraft? <laughs> <laughs> it's weird because I also put H.P. Lovercraft. I'm Did you? <laughs> <laughs> Justin? Uh, Michael Jackson. Michael Jackson? Triple threat. Uh, Dorothy? Yes. H.P. Lovercraft. That's Is that what really what you... No. Sorry. I, that's, I got nothing. Oh. Nothing. All right. Uh -oh. For that one, I put Dorothy Waring. <laughs> oh. so, you said triple threat. She's more like yes. a octo threat. Act well. Octo threat. You. She did go by H.P. Lovercraft at one point. <laughs> yeah. I think. Pen name, H.P. Lovercraft. She wrote her name on the paper. And anyone <laughs> listening to this, please do not Google H.P. Lovercraft. It's not going to come out good on your search history. It's just love. Uh, Lonnie Hearts. Ding, 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 ding. So it's pretty obvious I won that one. Yeah, I Wait, mean. I don't know if Steel Magnolias was all the right, <laughs> the right answers that you thought. That's always were. the right answer. Well, that was fun. Yeah, I, thanks for I, putting that together. That was super fun. I, you know, I love I love someone I can actually talk to horror novels about, and not I give these two a lot of crap about it, but I don't read fiction. I mean, rarely do I read fiction, and horror is usually not the one that goes up top, right? So, and I I came from being on the road a lot, from being twelve years old to being thirty years old. So being able to have a book in my hand for many hours in the car, I just. It's something I took into. Probably focus on the road. Huh. Yeah, I didn't yeah. learn to drive until I was like 31 years old. Huh. I still don't know how. We well, see, for, according for, to my wife, for for me, it just comes down to time as well. Right. I just don't have time to read because I'm always doing something, working, creating a project, writing something. By the time I would have time to read, it's late at night, and again. I will start reading the words, and not only am I tired, but I'm just thinking of other things. Well, I mean, I would love to read, but I just don't have the time. Well, and as much of a cinephile as I am, and this is no no bullshit lie, I didn't get a TV until I was 26. Jeez. Like, I'd watch movies at theaters, and I'd watch them um, on DVD and maybe at my friends' houses, but actually owning a TV in my house, we didn't get it till me and Tracy's third place to live. And now she can't get your ass Away from the TV. No, okay. now we have five in our house. They're stacked does in the front ghost, of each other. Does the ghost watch one? Uh, I don't know if him and Moxley still watch cartoons or not. He's just floating in a room. Like, <laughs> Yay. Uh -huh. But that was my novels question. Thank you all for playing. Well, thank you for that. The guest is still winning. Yeah. Right about all now. All of the games. That kind of sucks. <laughs> Get better. Study for this. I know. The guests are always better. How's your chest, by the way, I didn't Justin? give you an opportunity my, to study for the my, quiz. I was healing. I was healing. <laughs> I needed some me time. My chest is fine. I put some ointment on it, so it's good. Oh, yeah. By, the by festering. The, the, the bruising's all good. Yeah, it's, I'm all good. I'm straight. I'm some, good. Something I would recommend, too. If you yell a lot in a podcast or raise your voice, don't go get your nose pierced before you do it, because that expulsion of air through your nostrils... 
It doesn't feel very good. So much blood on the Noted. I was going to go do that before our next recording. Mm. So I won't. Well, we're going to take a break right here and give a little word from our sponsor. ML Image specializes in boudoir, ink, pinup, glamour, and even nude since 2005. ML Image celebrates and highlights the female form in the most vibrant, eloquent, and sultry of portraits. ML Image is an Omaha-based photographer. You can see his work at mlimage.com. Be warned, it is not safe for work. If you are a model looking to expand your portfolio, inquiries can be made through mlimage.com or mlimage on Instagram. Consider becoming a patron for more exclusive and titillating content. You won't be disappointed. ML Image, where image is everything. Is everything. Is everything. I'm literally smiling so hard my cheeks hurt. <laughs> I, I feel like that's a song that Dustin would use in one of his movies. 100% he should use that song. By the, by the way, when the whole Amityville in space thing, when I first seen the poster that popped up, instantly my head went, fucking Dustin. <laughs> he could do it. He, he could would. do anything. He, he could. With hornets. I, I just, yeah. Wow. Sharks in space. <laughs> That's when you know something's jumped a shark. And it's like, and it's now in space. I a hundred percent agree. Yes. <laughs> We're back on though. So Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Cool. We've... Yeah. All right. So that was our uh ML image ad. Plus <laughs> plus some. I feel Hot. like I know that voice from somewhere. Which and voice? Every time I hear the the ML image, I get scared. That's uh Justin. This Justin when he yes. first wakes up in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, we, thank are you talking the, about my? Thank the very talented and my voice and the very, very, very lovely and talented Crystal, Crystal Milani, the Crystal Milani. popular of the two Milanis. Yep. Justin, your wife's so cool. She's okay. The one that does. <laughs> she's the, really the one cool. that's doing something with her life. <laughs> she, nah, she's she's she does so much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, when you walk in the door, she probably just punches you square in your mouth. <laughs> No. Get over here! Take my shoes I off. She's like, I listened to last week's episode. See, that's what great <laughs> eight point blocking you system. Gotta, you nice. just got to be nice. so absurd that your wife is ridiculously offended by what you I, say, and that I, she just never yeah. watched listens. I still, I really enjoyed the episode I did with your guys' wives that you guys weren't there for. That was a fun episode. Learned some things about you guys. I didn't learn anything. The joys yeah. of not being married. Oh. I would you say, try. I would say it's not that it's not a joy because you've been married what five years six years yes i've been six. married for it'll be 15 so it just doesn't seem right right a lot of things become routine but a lot of things correction it'll such, be eight <laughs> ah, <laughs> fabulous a, a lot of things are still so new like you're like oh you do this like my <laughs> like my wife farted in front of me <laughs> like it took 15 years and she finally did it i'm like a girl. I didn't know girls did that. And now she won't stop. If it's something that we've learned from the previous movie review, couples who fart together stay together. <laughs> nice. That's literally the Full circle of that entire film. Yeah. Full circle. Just end it right Full here. Can't get better than that. Thanks so much, and you guys. It's great to be here. <laughs> I, I don't know. Well, well, congratulations. That's a big step for you guys. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. Well, the big step is like when we walk in and we're like, are we going to get beat up today? 
because I we know Justin's wife is absolutely terrifying, and mine is a was a taekwondo instructor, so I know she could break me very easily. Break you, break you. order my knee like peasant egg. I I come I come in and she just hands me the baby. I'm like, okay, okay, I got it. Got All this right. baby. Take him. He's your half. So, uh, oh, yeah. We're here for Dorothy. Dorothy's here for us. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's nice having some class in here for once. It is. Out of every time a guest comes in, I'm like, so this is the outside world. We need to get out more. <laughs> it's like that. It bees like that. And that's why we can't I do go have out a... to the outside world because he says shit like it bees so like good. that. I do have another question for you. Okay, I'm ready. I'm ready for right. an answer of some kind. So Harry Potter or the magicians? Whoa, Harry Potter every time. Really? I know, I'm sorry. I thought you would say The Magicians. I know, but I'm more of The, the Magicians. Thing, right, which yeah. I get, but like, there's something about The Magicians that has like a nihilism to it that I just, it just it feels super New York to me. That's the only reason I said Harry Potter is because there's just more innocence in the Harry Potter story. That's all. Now, are we talking Harry Potter novels or are we talking Harry Potter movies? Oh, the novels, the novels. <laughs> now, Did the you, movies are I haven't read any of the straight books. up garbage. I read the titles of the books. That's cool. That's did it. you read The Magicians, the book, and watch the series? I did series? not. I just watched watch the both. So the series oh, end. Shit, man. I haven't seen the series, so maybe no. that's not a fair answer. Gotcha. The series is really good. And it might also have that New York y thing to it, possibly. There, there but. is something about the New York attitude, which is like, oh, everything sucks and I suck too, and I can't do anything about it. I'm the characters who had that in The Magicians. Angry. They got annoying at, in the beginning, but at the end, like you rooted for them for how much they've changed. So it was like, wow, that's, man, do it. Like do Ru- it. like Rudy. I do like that. Yeah, take it all the way. Yeah, I did finish that book. Like so. Rudy? Like Rudy. The football movie? I hated him when, when he first started, but by the end of it, I was like, yeah, go Scrappy. You know, that's <laughs> a real thing. Like if you can write a character that's not that sympathetic at the beginning and then later become, you're like, hell yeah, fuck, that's pretty I tried that with Justin's character, but people just hated him even more by the end of the movie. Wow. <laughs> I'm just going by what his wife told me when she, she saw it. She does a lot of eye rolling, doesn't she? Yeah. <laughs> oh. Uh, Crystal uh, could eye roll hardcore, uh, like right. up in there in the professional levels of she's eye got, rolling. She's got two <laughs> eyes, so double the... You, so, okay. Double the roll. If we're, we're going to ask questions like this, if you can take <laughs> any movie characters... From any two movies, what two characters would you do a crossover movie together with? Wow, a crossover movie. Uh, I want to see um, Bruce Willis's Die Hard in a, what was I going to say? Do you guys ever see Down With Love? No, it's a 1960s um, remake by the guy, what's his name? It's not the football player Peyton Manning. It's by this other, this director named Peyton something. And it doesn't make any sense because that's why it would be hilarious. So it doesn't matter <laughs> since none of you have seen it, but whatever. There's a few things he's done that didn't make sense, but it was hilarious. <laughs> I, would, I love Peyton the Reed. Hudson Hornet. <laughs> oh my gosh. Lonnie, yes, that's 100% like kind of in that same, yeah, wheelhouse. Never heard of that. Hudson Hawk. Hudson Hawk, yes, yes, yes. Where he I and know. Danny Alo just do all of these weird crime things and time it out perfectly by singing right. Would You Like to Swing on a Star? Yeah, it's like a slapstick comedy mixed with kind of a gangster movie mixed with it's got kind of a rom-com in it as well. 100%. And that's where Andy McDowell makes like dolphin noises where she's like, 
yeah. <laughs> I would do a crossover movie with Marty, Marty McFly and Doc from Back to the Future and Bill and Ted from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, I feel yeah. like they fit That's in the same good. universe. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, Doc would. They just cross paths. Or it's like, was that a phone booth that just went by us? And then they end up at the same Sorry. place. I think. I just think that'd be great. And you know, speaking of that, Doctor Scott, I'm not for like making all these old movies and like the remakes, know, doing the remakes, or even like, okay, so there was part one through seven. Forget two through seven. We're just going to focus on part one that took place 40 years ago, and this one that's present day is 40 years later. It takes place right after. I'm not about all that stuff. I just feel like get some original ideas. However, I really would love them to do a back to the future part four. And I know it's, it's difficult for Michael J. Fox with his Parkinson's disease, but I mean, he still does act every now and then, but you could play that off. Right. That, we've, that's we've, part we've, of, we rewrote having, back to the that, future. That would be part where, of like, like part coming, of his, traveling through yeah that's part of the time, the time travel is a, a, a effect a, on his body and all that yeah they did like a, a commercial not too long ago a couple of years ago that. with them and i i was just like wow they still got it so i don't know i think that would be a fun crossover though with those two and i feel like they would do it like keanu reeves will do anything yeah so but do you have a question like that lonnie uh, well, I, we don't get to have answers. Oh, no, because you're not guests. So. Your, okay, yeah, go ahead. What's your answer, Lonnie? I would probably put Dakota Fanning from Neon Demons oh. mixed with Natalie Portman from Black Swan. Wait, Dakota Fanning was in Neon Demons? Oh, sorry, I was thinking of De- Neon Maniacs. Never mind. Oh, <laughs> the other one. Yeah. Uh, she was a twinkle in her dad's eye. <laughs> yeah, oh, wow, Black Swan, Neon Demon. I've never seen... Neon Demon one. Neon Demon is, it's, it was kind of culty. It's based on model culture. So, Keanu Reeves. Good. All right, Justin, what two Taekwondo movies are you going to pick? I would say. Jackie Chan. <laughs> it, it was. It was actually going to be Jackie Chan and Rush Hour teamed up with Johnny Depp from Benny and June. Oh. Whoa. Why? He, he's pulling this out of his butt. <laughs> that's pretty. Because. That's- they're both like physically, you know, the characters, I guess, are both physically inclined to their surroundings. Right. One is more comedic purposely. The other one is more accidental. Is this a for but real answer? Are you pulling all, because you're, you're looking up and I'm figuring it out left, as I go. That's usually a lot. I never like, <laughs> that's my imaginative. I'm looking up to the left. I'm imagining. Cause that is two very, very, very random yeah. characters that would make no, absolutely no sense. Right. But go ahead, continue. Oh, that was it. Oh. I think Gary Oldman in anything and Tom Hanks in anything. Chicago. Well, you brought up Rush Hour. I think it'd be great to have Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan from Rush Hour with Danny Glover and Mel Gibson oh, from oh, yeah, Lethal huh. Weapon. There's huh. another crossover movie yeah. for you. Wow. How about Ax- Lethal Hour? How about Axman <laughs> from Neon Maniacs and Victor Crowley from? Victor, Catch it. You know, Victor Crowley and Jason Voorhees would be a fun Not one. too similar. Well, yeah, so is Axman. They're going to fight over who's the better Axman. No, they're going to try to find out what happened okay. to that fucking ambulance. Victor Crowley and the Tin Man from Wizard of Oz. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Question, Dorothy. Yes. Who would be the Lion, Tin Man, and Scarecrow out of the three of us? <laughs> oh, God. Out of the three of you guys? Tin Man. Because she's Dorothy. Lion, <laughs> Scarecrow. I could see that. Wait, wait, do it again. Tin Man, Tin Man, Lion, Scarecrow. So, so 
I don't have a heart and you don't I, have I, a, I, I don't have courage. And he doesn't have a brain. That's I'm told that quite a bit. So huh. that's pretty dead on. It's funny because when I was younger, my sisters and I were kids and my cousin would come over. We would always reenact the uh, in the woods next to my house. We'd always reenact the Wizard of Oz and I was always the scarecrow. What did you guys reenact the lions and tigers and bears? Oh my! Oh yeah, that's yeah, good. yeah. That's a good. That's I'd a be good like, bet. I'd be like on a tree stump, like doing the which way type thing, and yeah, I was always a scarecrow. Question: Yes. Whatever happened to the milkman and the paperboy? The evening TV. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. Light is waiting <laughs> to carry you home. <laughs> I've got a serious question, though. Eaten Alive by Piranhas. Yes. <laughs> so you said you're into the occult and into... Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's a chance my mom might listen to this. Okay. You're not into, into the occult. <laughs> no, you enjoy learning about it. Side they kicked you out? interest in the, the occult. No, but yes, go ahead. You're not a card carrier? Not yet. Sorry. <laughs> I left my card in the car. I absolutely love it. It's one of my biggest fascinations. And it was an easy transition for me getting in the occult because I came from a, a very Jewish background and we had King Solomon and then King Solomon wrote the keys of Solomon and the, the lesser keys. So reading that to me was like, oh, it's part of our Bible. Like it's knowledge you should know. And then I got older and got more into it and was like, wow, this is fantastic. Did you ever have any of those aha moments where you're like, oh, this means this, this is awesome. Wow. I was just thinking like... The place that I'm at right now with a lot of the different aspects of the occult that I've looked at is I'm amazed at how many times we've sort of recreated the wheel when we are looking at things that the mysteries of life that we want to know more about, right? Like that's what I think about when I think about the occult, you know, whether it's tarot, whether it's the Kabbalah, whether it's, you know, a list of other things. Ultimately, it feels like they all just share so many similarities just right under the skin. So it's kind of like pick the thing that you're most interested in. And I guess that's something that I've just recently started to think about, especially when I think about chakras and I think about inner body energy and I think about connecting to like an intelligent universe. It seems like all of that's what those things lead to. I feel like there's an aspect of occultism that can really lead you to the desire for power. Power and knowledge are the two biggest. Right, that those things, then that stuff can get, it can get a little funky. And those are the things that, that I get a little bit freaked out about, like, okay. So, but how about you? Like, what are, yeah, tell me. Tell me more about that, the keys. So in growing up, it was basically a scary story to all of us. It's like there are these demons and these entities out there that you need to be prepared for. Here's the way to deal with them. And then we would get the knowledge from King Solomon with the lesser keys and the keys of, well, here is a sigil and here is what attracts them to the sigil. And then once you have them, you have the ability to use them. And when I was young, I'm like, that's so cool. I could have a demon and he could do my homework and he could do all this. And then all it is is a bunch of D&D comic book nerds sitting around a fire trying to summon demons. And it's such a scary thing of God, what did we do as kids? Like how much balance did we disrupt as kids not having an idea what we were doing that I wake up and my back hurts or my arms will hurt. I'm like, yeah, shouldn't have, shouldn't have tried that. But... <laughs> Spiritualism, the afterlife, the 
Mm. Talking to spirits. Yeah. The, it's That's your thing. We had a, when we tried to move studios, we couldn't take our podcast spirit with us that we summoned on the, was it their third episode? <laughs> the only that one was, I would talk to was Jeremy. It was scratching me. Yeah. And then I, then we moved into my new house and that thing is haunted as a motherfucker. But it's nicely haunted. It is nicely uh, haunted. It, you, well, the way you describe this ghost at your new house is creepy as shit. It's me. really like, not bad. And they all attack Jeremy. You, you, you said it's, you look down the hallway and it's peeking into the bedroom. What's wrong oh, with that? He it's said a like, voice. That's a gauntly man is, yeah. Is is peeking into his child's bedroom. And it the doors into our bedroom. slammed yeah, shut. Right. And he's like, you want to try that again? And then it closes it nicely or something it's like, like that. If I'm telling you, if I lived in a house, and it's, he's, they live in like, a, it's an old, it's a beautiful house, but it's like old. It's got the wood staircase. It's creaky and stuff like that. If I walked up the stairs and I saw what you described this ghost to look like peering into my bedroom for sale sign <laughs> out we'll see at the, a hotel. And for we the did night. research on it. So it, it was built in 1911. It used to be a border house because the trains would go through Red Oak. So it's where they would stay when they were making their trips through. And then, but I had a friend of mine who it's quote unquote a medium. And she told me that this is the area where they would do sinful things. And this is the area where peace would come from. And this is the area where they lived. And But I, I say it and people give me that look that like, oh, you're full of bullshit. And then they come in and spend a significant amount of time. And they're like, did your trash can just move? I'm like, yeah, don't worry about it. Or like, why are your son's balls rolling all over the floor? Is he playing with them? <laughs> That's, why is your son's raising? Why is your son's <laughs> ball pit balls rolling all over the floor? I'm like, they, because they do that. Well, we need to spend some significant time at your place. Yeah, I or at all. Well, it's not like you're down the street, so I, I we, we will. We'll spend some time there. So but. you don't do spirits? No, I don't. I, I honestly have a fear of attracting um, stuff from those places that I don't, I can't really explain it. It's just, my preference is, is that they would just avoid me and I then can avoid them. Right. Well, I think it kind of touches on like the emphasis of like the corrupter. At least that's the way I see it. Your movie. You remember the corrupter, right? I'm totally 20, down. Yep. 17. 2017's The Corrupter. The Corrupter. I don't have it prepared. I'm sorry. Go, 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 go. The Corrupter. Corrupter. That was right. perfect. Corrupter. Yeah. So it's like. Once you have the the particle of the idea in there, like it kind of like grows from there. So it's like when it comes to the spirits for me, I think a lot of people just attribute something that they have a loose definition of and then apply it without uh, exercising all their resources or things. It's just like, oh, that's what it is. It's uh. like, how do you know that? You know, you got to deduct like a lot of the other stuff before you assign that, you know. But I mean, yeah, there are certain places that do feel creepy that have like a little frequency that it gives off because of natural wind or water or even electrical fields that's around. But I think it's just like, oh, I'm, pro I'm probably the most skeptical out of the three of us here. You know, we did like ghost hunts at the squirrel cage prison and, you know, they feel like there was like meters that were kind of like. We assigning. did catch something though uh, when we went Facebook live. How do you explain that do you think it was the lady that was in the office she went upstairs just and slammed a firefly uh, caught, caught a firefly a firebug 
light lightning bug. I like fireflies. Yeah. I do too. They're cool. I do too, especially great when series. butts light up. Yeah, also great a great series. series. <laughs> when you squish them and you squish <laughs> their guts everywhere, it's Ew. still glowing. So I used to do ghost hunting like in high school and right out of high school with my buddies. We'd go to cemeteries and stuff. And, you know, my mom always said, and this is a, a movie I want to make someday. It's a great title. She was like, you know, those spirits are going to follow you home through your footsteps. And I was like, through your footsteps. That's a great title for like a yeah. haunted movie. But Say I really again. through <laughs> your footsteps. Okay. T H R E W. But uh, I do believe that some spirits did follow me home because the house we were in, before that, nothing really happened. But after I do ghost hunting, stuff would start happening around the house. And you got to think of it too as like a subconscious thing. When you're willing to want to believe something, you're gonna put stock in something that yeah. reminds you of that. It's so if you if you spent the whole night out ghost hunting and all of a sudden a light in your bathroom starts to go out and it flickers, your mindset is already that, oh, we're going to find ghosts. Well, that's now a ghost. It's like, well, okay, that's creepy. Yeah, but the the thing- more you exercise that thought or entertain that thought, like right. the more you're going to want to see the patterns. But when you have relatives in the house that didn't know that you were talking about bringing spirits home that were all of a sudden telling you things that they were experiencing and you're just like, hmm, yeah, I experienced the same thing. That's something. That's not my imagination. Like, oh, the light bulb's flickering. That's a ghost. Oh, it's so. a bad light bulb. The wires <laughs> yeah, need to be tightened a little bit. True. My favorite ghost hunting story from being a kid growing up, we used to take our my talk boy, and we would go out. To, there was a cemetery like three blocks back and four blocks over from where we used to live in the little town we grew up in. And we would take that talk boy and sit it on gravestones and try to do EVP sessions. And this was 30 years ago. You were two. I was not two. Oh, close enough. I wish I was two. That 30 years ago is kind of an egregious, but maybe 20, 25 years ago. And we'd just turn it on and sit it on a gravestone and we'd sit and bullshit and talk. And it would be quiet most of the time. Well, my mom knew we were out the night before at the graveyard and found the talk boy. And in all the silence, she decided to record over the silence. She just screamed and stopped recording. So when we were listening to it the next day to see if we caught any ghosts, my mom's scream came over that. Oh, shit, my pants. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, That would have been funny. I had a roommate who was very big Catholic. Like, he didn't play, and he had, like, those, you know, typical, you know, black chick mannerisms. Like, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, 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 I ain't fucking with that. There's a lady who lived upstairs who would like, she would, I think she had like split personality or something like that. She would like yell at her son, you know, like, I'm the fucking devil. You know, like she would go out. But if you. Was she? She wasn't the devil. <laughs> she was just kind of deranged. The devil does but uh, I remember ripping a lot of his CDs so that way we can like shuffle our music on my laptop. And, you know, it's like when we're cleaning, it's like, well, do one of yours, you know. And I used some audio to make it sound like. Like backwards, right? you know, something into one of his favorite, like a, a Sierra song or something like that. <laughs> and he texted me that morning. He was listening to that, and he's like, "Uh, uh-uh, I ain't fucking with that. No, no, you burn that." And you're like, <laughs> like, "What? What did you hear? What was it?" Justin, that's terrible. <laughs> you ultimately did tell him about that, right? He knows now. Okay, yeah. good. he's our one listener. <laughs> was so. I think we're getting to the point of close to wrapping up here, but I do have. A couple more questions for you. This one, back to the filmmaking. If you could pick one actor and one actress famous to work with in one of your films, who would they be? Oh, man. 
just the idea of being able to work with like a professional actor, it seems like would be a dream. I gotta be honest with you. I don't, I never have like wish lists of that, like that kind of running around in my mind. I bet the closest I've ever come is wanting Spike from Buffy to play the role of Alex Crowley's character in Heartless and have him come in and do a couple of scenes. Because, yeah, but here, I guess, isn't kind of an interesting thing is we've been working with a, uh, a woman in Wisconsin who is um, writing a lot of screenplays, and she wrote this great screenplay called Oh Deer about zombie deer in the state park. Oh. It's such a great <laughs> screenplay. It just oh. got picked up by a production company in Canada to be made. But um, she has put together a crazy awesome casting list, and it's like Kate McKinnon and like all these chicks from the L word, <laughs> like some cases like people that I don't know. And so, yeah, she's definitely in a place thinking about like, you know, cast that is out in L.A. or in Atlanta that is ready to like do that. But damn, Jeremy, I don't even ever consider that that could be a possibility. Like, who would you work with? Like, who who was on your that list for you? Well... Peyton List. Yeah, Peyton List. She's in the Cobra Kai series. Scout Taylor Compton, who was Laurie Strode and Rob Zombie's remakes of Halloween. Alicia Cuthbert. I mean, she was in The Girl Next Door. She was in the remake of House of Wax. I loved Um, her in that. Yeah. House of Wax. But for guys, I don't know. I am kind of excited because I did strike a deal with somebody that's not like A-list celebrity or your B-list, probably more like C-list, but... They're well known in the horror community, and I talked to them, reached out to them. They're actually agreed to play a part in Unemployed W2. I don't want to say who it is just because they will be reprising. Is that a reprising, reprising. Their, their, their role? In, a likeness of their role. Yeah, a likeness of their role. But I don't know. Like, guys, I, I don't really, you know, I'd love to work with, with somebody like, Kane Hodder or Tyler Maine or Derek Mears that played Morgan these Freeman. iconic horror villains and stuff. Uh, but Freeman. I don't know. Yeah, I, I I I tried getting Peyton List. Well, I didn't reach out to her, but I reached out to somebody that knew her, and it sounds like it'd be a lot of paperwork and a pain to go through. But he would have to read. I know when God, there's SAG, yeah. it's such a you know a pain for them and for you, mm-hmm. and I totally hear that. Just like go by his pseudonym, like Peyton Bullet Points. Well, that's, the, that's the thing. Like I've talked to like some people that are like, well, they could be in your film, but they're going to have to go under a different name. And it's like, well, that defeats the whole purpose because exactly. you're wanting to use their name to promote your movie. So, well, okay. So you turn 65 years old and you're looking back on your life. What would he have wanted to accomplish by the age of 65? By the age of 65, I would like to have written two more novels and then I want to I don't know I've thought about making another feature what that would be like but only if I could take a giant step up what this is just a dream yes sometime in the next who knows how long someone comes to me and goes I have a shit ton of money you seem pretty cool I really like the work that you do would you like just carte blanche to make three more films and I would say yes Mm -hmm. because that feels like a nice number solve three films Three novels and then three more films. 65. Boom. Wow. Done. We got 37 years to do it. So, got so much time. It's good. That's a lot to accomplish. Yeah. I, <laughs> need to get I, on that. I need to find that person. Yeah. If you find their number, let us know. <laughs> Give me that money. 
are you happy with how things have gone in your life so far? Or do you like look back on certain things like, I wish that went differently or I would have tried this? I'm really happy with where I am right now. Am I sad? Because this is how it is for me. I reached a, what I would call, let's just call it a glass ceiling for filmmaking that I could not see a way to overcome. And that was, I did not have enough money or resources to up my game for another film. Chad and I took a trip out to LA probably in like 2017, 2018. And when I came back from that, I was like, the content level of stuff that's being put out right now is so high and I do not see a way to easily do that here or a cheap way to do that out in LA. I just don't know what I would, if there's a story out there that I would fall in love with so much that I would be willing to, you know, start the process again. Cause you guys know features, that's like, you're looking at at least in my world, let's say a two year commitment to making a thing. It's like having a child in some degrees, not, you know, fully obviously, but the idea of you're bringing a thing to life and you are then trying to set it up for success and send it out into the world. And man, right now, like the world just doesn't seem that great place for a a kid of creation like that. And so that is one thing that I'm kind of bummed about. That's been like a weird thing to look at and face. And I think it's just a personal thing too. Like I'm not trying to put that on other filmmakers at all. That's just a place that I kind of got to. And so, yeah, I like making the short films that we're making right now. And that's really cool. But yeah. It's interesting you put it that way. Cause I mean, I, I kind of feel somewhat similar. Like I am going to be starting on a, a feature length film here. I have started, but haven't started filming it yet. But yeah, it is a commitment and it's a lot of money too. And I try to swing for the fences with any, everything. And I give up a lot to make these movies happen, whether, you know, we, we're going to try crowdfunding, but if it doesn't work, I will find a way to pay for the stuff out of my pocket. But, and that's kind of when we started shorty films, it's like short films, they're not necessarily easier to make, but they're easier to get out there for people to see. I think easier people, for people to consume. Yeah. It's yeah. just their attention span is not, we live you in such a fast-paced world now that people don't want to take the patience to sit down yeah. to watch a full length. But it, it's so, also, yeah. and we've talked about this on past episodes, and it's not really a knock on the people that do this, but I feel like this world is so oversaturated with social media and all these platforms. And it irritates me when somebody creative like myself that puts their heart, soul, money, everything into a project and you know, yeah, I'm, I'm grateful and I love it. Even if it's just like a hundred, 200 people see it when it's all said and done, but it's like, then you have these people that don't have talent really. And they're making hundreds upon hundreds of dollars off of taking a picture of themselves with their cleavage showing on a only site. And it's just like, that doesn't take talent and they're making all this money. And not that I do this to make money, but it's just the fact that they have a following and they're not doing anything. And then you have creative people like us that they work their ass off. They put their heart and soul into stuff. And no matter how much they promote themselves and try to get it out there, they're not really reaching a big, broad crowd to watch it. So I don't even know if any of that's making any sense, but are you more concerned? I mean, like you want a lot of people to see things, but are you concerned with the amount of people or the right eyes on it? (laughs) Because, like, I, for me, I know, like, certain things are not going to, they're probably going to fall for a lot of 
casual viewers, but they're the people who will like really love it. Like, oh my God, that's freaking amazing. Like the the four or five people in the room, it's like, nice, nice. Well, thank that. This is why I do it for you guys. Well, yeah, that's like what I said. Like if we put all this effort into it and only five people saw it, I mean, God, I hope it's more than five people, but if five people saw it, they loved it. It was worth it for me. If, if one person saw it, and like how you said, like when Justin's talking about your book, like, oh my God, that's just, it's great. And, and but it's just like, it's great feeling. And I, I will never be mad about that, whether the amount of people that see it, but it's just like knowing that these other people that don't have talent and they're just taking pictures of their feet and they're making Amazing. all this money off of it. It's just like, what world are we living in? Like, I, I don't, I don't get it. It's just, it's tough. It's right. easier to make movies nowadays. I mean, you can right. make a movie with your phone and stuff like that, but it also just because you can make a movie with your phone doesn't mean you're going to make a good quality movie with your phone, well, but it's being the devil's advocate in this. I do have to say what we think is talent and what we think is not talent could be vastly different from the next person. Talent, Absolutely. Talent is one of those terms that is so subjective. It's not even funny. So yeah, what? Just art when, itself. When yeah. we when we mock someone, I mock is the wrong term, but when we look at someone who makes money off feet pictures, we don't know what they're going through. We no, don't. Absolutely. We don't know I the lighting they have to put up to get the well, right angle and shadow on their I, foot. I, 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 <laughs> I, you don't I mean, need much. Yeah, you don't. You don't well, need much. But but it's not <laughs> the thing though. Like for example, I'm just gonna throw myself out there. I love cringy b horror movies yeah put me in a room with 10 other people maybe one person will like it with me but the dumber the cringier the better but if you make a bad movie on purpose i'm gonna know about it sometimes those are the best like what's that one what's that one guy's name we were watching and he like he's just <laughs> editing himself like, oh fun. i know who you're talking about i can't think of his name but uh -huh. yeah no, and, and at the end of the day, it's nighttime. It's as, it's my passion to entertain people. So I don't care at the end of the day if I don't get money. Cause like I said, I don't do this for money. I do it for love and passion, but it's just and that. money. I feel like you can, I mean, it would be nice to have the money, but it's just, that's not my end goal. And if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen, but it's just, yeah, it's just kind of irritating when you see these other things happening. And like, that was my big thing with YouTube is like, it's a great way to put your stuff out there, but it's also discovered a lot of people that shouldn't be famous because oh. they, <laughs> but think of all the content on YouTube that you look at, like some of the, the Vivo movies, some of the short horror films mm -hmm. that are out there that are two, three minutes long that are fucking phenomenal. Like Black box TV. All Mama, that, yeah. Mama originally came from a three-minute short film. Lights Out was originally a three-minute short film. One of my favorite, Mockingbird, is wow. literally forty seconds, and it's one of the best tellings of a, a scary story ever. It's so simple. There's no, there's hardly any dialogue in it. It's just great. It's just the way you work with the canvas you are well, given. And here's the thing: whether somebody makes a movie and it's a a masterpiece or it's really low budget amateur looking having made a movie myself and knowing the process of it i give kudos to anybody that's ever put a movie together even if it's like some kid in sixth grade with his buddies and it's really crap thrown together kudos they did something that a lot of people don't have the patience to do um, or, or the balls or the heart or the yeah. this is kind of a two-parter here Buckle i'm pretty up. sure Jeremy and I kind of fall in the line, maybe Lonnie too, but anything that we make, we know there's going to be 
hate on it. It's like, I'm not trying to please everybody. I'm just trying to express the art. Judging by today's culture and how like vastly different things are like 10 years ago when you were making stuff. What are your thoughts on taking on a project these days? Like, do you feel like you have to cater? Do you have to water certain things down? Make the hard cuts for something? Do you feel like you have that same passion or does it just depend on the piece? And you usually play it relatively safe, but certain areas will easily get the knock on it. Oh my God. You know, yeah, I would say when you're making movies at a micro budget level, you, or I feel like I certainly started to recognize that I need to embrace the flaws or my inability to reach what we think of as a professional film that comes out of Hollywood or looks a certain way. Especially when I think about things that feel so out of my control, like uh, a talent level for an actor or actress playing a particular role. Like, what can I get for here? And so I guess when I think about like the commentary or how a film might be received, right? Because that's kind of what you're, you're asking. Like, what's the thing that I think about with that? Man, I would say in the films that I've made, I've just skipped into it joyfully. Like, I can't even imagine that people wouldn't like this. And it's only kind of towards the end where I start to go, wow, I don't know if we really reached, you know, like a level of professionalism that can't really be given a lot of shit. You know, you can't give a lot of shit for it. Like when you look at just people's effects work, for instance, right? That's something that can easily come under fire. I think I'm answering your question. Is that kind yeah. of the vein that you were thinking For the about? most part, yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, that's pretty much right on point. But it's like for you, and I hate to excuse the comparison, but like for you, like you have the name, you know, I'm like, it's freaking Dorothy Bohr. I'm like, yeah, right. let's let's go see it. It's, it's like she's one of those McDonald's that has the playground in it. You know, that's a, <laughs> right. yeah, let's go there. The you know? pit. Yes. Yeah. Sorry to compare you to McDonald's, but you're not anything like McDonald's. <laughs> no, no, I love it's, McDonald's, yeah. so it's good. It's cool. Yeah. Woo. We should probably... Wrap this up. So, yeah. so I, I I would say yeah. Let's just we're know, actually at our well, mark anyway. So. Let's let's uh plug where we can see some of your stuff, where they can read your book. Now you got the mic. Let's Sweet. Wrap, wrap oh, it up. Yeah. So definitely go to Amazon. All of my films are available for rent there, so you can watch Wake the Witch. You can watch The Witchening. No, I'm just kidding. That's not actually one of my films. You can watch Wake the Witch Two. <laughs> Blood Rights. The Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> Blood Rights. You can watch Corruptor. Those movies can also be watched on Voodoo. And you can watch them on Tubi if you also want to give us that sweet, sweet ad revenue. That's cool too. I'm about for that. So we have short films and a web series called Inside Out that's pretty good. You can check us out at unfiltered dash ent.com that's where links to a lot of my stuff is and then i have a novel out right now that's called heartless that you could buy it's just a digital novel on amazon barnes and nobles website or smashwords so please please check out the entertaining things that i have made thank you well, no, thank you. Yes, thank you for coming out. I really enjoyed talking with you. Like I said, I've always I've always looked up to you as a filmmaker and even as a person. Like I, I see you at festivals or events and stuff, and you're always so polite, so nice, so upbeat about everything. Very bubbly. So, yeah, you you definitely. Inviting. I think uh, I think a lot of people see that in you, and they respect you for it. And also, you're very talented at what you do. So. I don't Thank really you. know anybody who doesn't want to work with you. Yeah. But I think I'm probably just projecting my, <laughs> it's like, you probably want to work with her too, don't you? Yeah. 
Uh -huh. I gotta say, this has been an incredibly awesome experience for me. Thank you guys so much for the love and just for the opportunity to talk with other artists. Like it's and it's Lonnie. like <laughs> I'm looking at you, Lonnie, as I say that. It's like you know, uh, a cool drink of water on a hot day. Like you need it. Right. Thank you. You're yeah. welcome. This is, is this the first podcast you've done? It's not the first podcast that I've Shut done, up. but it's the best. But it's no. the best podcast. That <laughs> well, thank you, Miss uh, Dorothy Borm, Lady D, our uh, awesome, talented. <laughs> Give her one more. The delightful, more. devastating Devonair. I feel like I'm watching a commercial for like perfume or something. I expect Drew Barrymore to come out for some reason. <laughs> Buy my perfume at Target. <laughs> She just showed me her phone, 1111. Oh, and there it is. On that, we'll, we'll head on out. It, that's a sign of uh, chaos and destruction. Or strength. It could be strength. We're all going <laughs> to die. Or that we pay way too much to the number one. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening to episode 038 with Dorothy Born. We have a movie sure. podcast, which we didn't release. What is it, Lonnie? It is from the 1990s. Amazing film, Begotten, that Justin's oh. going to randomly talk about for two hours. We did. Because it's going to blow his mind. I will be here in spirit. I'm not going to have a noodle. It's going to be great. You can win. If you guys want to watch it ahead, it is on YouTube. Um, I don't know how it's still on YouTube, but it's still there. Check it out. Thank no, you guys. Don't, don't check it out. And good night. <laughs> Love you. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Join us next time for more absurdity that only the guys from the Boundless Pod Trap can bring you. 